Welcome to Proceeding Horizons, a podcast for exploring topics in astronomy and space science. Since antiquity, humans have gazed at the night sky, attempting to decipher its mysteries and find our place within it. As astronomer Edwin Hubble once remarked, the history of astronomy is a history of receding horizons. Our podcast will attempt to answer some of the biggest questions from the oldest of sciences. The mission of this podcast is to explore topics of astronomy and space exploration and share them with the community of Brownsville, Texas. Our valley is entering into the next phase of human space exploration and participating in the era of multi-messenger astronomy. We are providing a forum of discussion among people of all ages and expertise to bring awareness about our role in this next exciting era. These are Receding Horizons. Did you make coffee? Do you have coffee? And not a funny story, know, actually. Drinking water. That's Me good. Too. I have water too. On top of the coffee. I just two <laughs> on top of the coffee. Yeah. Both at the same time. <laughs> yeah, there's water I, in the coffee. Yes. So uh, earlier this week, uh, I was in a meeting with one of my uh, for my job with the Argentinian people, and they had a. I mean, you know, you've you've seen Mario with uh, the mate thing. Yeah, and I've had that. And mm-hmm. I've been, I mean, I've been drinking way too much coffee lately. And so I, and I, I just, I remembered about that. So I ordered some stuff on Amazon and it came in today. So I tried it out um, and I, I think I felt horribly because it was bad. <laughs> Not like I remembered it. So I need to get better at that. But I've heard that that's a, just a really good replacement for like energy and that it cleans you out pretty well. Um, I'm not quitting coffee. I just, uh, I don't think five or six cups a day is doing me good. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No. <laughs> Probably not. Moises, do you still mm-hmm. uh, drink mate? Every once in a while, occasionally. It's a, it is a good pick-me-up. I, I, will, I'll, I will give you that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, even the little bit that I drank, I, I know I prepared it wrong, but it still felt pretty good. Was it bitter? Yeah, I was getting, Moises, maybe you can tell me, I was getting like some of the actual particles in my mouth. I feel like that shouldn't happen. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So you said you tried to prepare it yourself? Like you, you have the cup, you have the, the, the straw? The yes, yeah. I have everything, yes. Okay, so like there, it, it itself, right, is a, is a process. And so there, there is, uh, it's a process that's embedded with tradition, right? And so R- Richard knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> there is a learning um, curve for your first time. Yeah. Yeah. And also the first one that I made uh, was extremely bitter. <laughs> and so it's a, it's, it is a bit of a, a, a learning process, uh, you know, kind of tri- trial and error. And, but also it's, uh, it's, one of the things that is embedded with with this tradition and in its culture of of uh, of the drink itself is that you um you get to prepare it how you like it and so that's 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 pretty much it um one of the 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 things that controls the bitterness really is is when you do the prep that um this is like really 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 fine dust and mm-hmm. the goal is to try to remove as much as the fine dust as as you can. Well, that that essentially controls the bitterness. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's what it was. There was a lot of dust in there. <laughs> yeah, like dust in the in the loose like uh, stuff that you're 
you're brewing so you want to like sift that is that what you're saying like get rid of that or yeah but it's not, it's not so much uh and by dust i don't mean like there's like dirt in there right like fine part <laughs> that's, that's not what i mean <laughs> it's the um it's just since we like this product comes from argentina right the like true mate comes from argentina from the yerba mate and so it's like a, it's a pile of sticks and during the shipping process, there's a lot of friction. And so you get this really fine dust of, of mate, like particles. And um, if you don't, if you don't uh, take that out, um, it, like if you don't do anything to it and you just include a lot of that powder, it'll be uh, very bitter. Yeah. Interesting. So it's like pretty much like dead cellulose or, or whatever plant material that, that adds the bitterness to the, right. to the tea. Uh, interesting. Yeah, in the video I saw, one of the first, the first step is you have to cup it and then go like that. And then when you look at your hand, it's just, yeah, it's all that dead. So we, what's the full, what's the process like in general? I don't know who wants to explain that. Moises, say it and I'll try <laughs> to find where, I, way, where so. I went wrong. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is just, we're just going with it. Yeah, yeah. So um, you, so they say like grab, you, you grab the, the cup and you fill it about uh, three quarters of the way. And uh, then you, you cover the top and then you flip it. And um, if you look at your hand, like you'll, you'll have that fine dust on your hand. So then you clear it off. Uh, I, I, what I do is um, my, my mate cup is uh, one of the modern type, right? So it's like, it's metal. Um, it's not one of the traditional wooden types. Uh, and there's, they use so many different materials for, for this, but the, the cup itself, if what I do for, for mine is I actually go around the cup and like take it off with my finger, dust my finger off. And then I go again, dust it off, <laughs> go around the rim. Cause it, man, it collects though. At least the mate that I have in, in my, in my stock, it has a lot of dust. So I do that, you know, several times until, uh, either one, I just want to drink mate or two. Um, I'm not collecting so much on my hand anymore. Um, there'll still be some on, uh, along the rim, but like you'll, you'll, you notice every, every iteration is a lot less. And, um, and then, um, let's say you, uh, you, you grab the, the cup, you kind of sift it. So it's flat and then you angled it. A little bit and so then uh and you you give it a little shake and so if you can imagine like the the leaves are like this right and so when you give it a little shake it levels out so you end up with a little wedge when you put it back then um you you want to wet the 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 tea um the tea leaves and so uh, also right mat is loose uh, just it was like loose leaf right it's just like loose sticks <laughs> and uh, loose sticks and leaves and so then you wet it and it kind of m- maintains its shape it, it kind of maintains its shape and then um, and so you wet all of it uh, cautiously the first time but you want to preserve this wedge shape and then you start pouring in some of the water towards the the lower side uh, once, um, once you have a little bit of water going on in there, what you need to do is you, you grab your bombilla and which is was the straw, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you, you top it. So you don't want anything going into the straw. Uh, so you have it, you have it, uh, closed and you push it in to, to this angled spot and then you push it out. So that way the, the, the bombilla sits right on the deepest end of, uh, of the tea. And, um, and then 
then um, you keep on pouring. It's it's it the the way that I was taught to do it. You you should put the hot water directly over the straw, right, or over the bombilla. That way, it, it kind of uh, what's the word like decanter, right? So like you you're pouring the water. Uh, so it hits the straw and it doesn't like mess with the leaves too much because you want to preserve this shape as much as possible. And you fill it up and um, kind, kind of slow, right? If you think about it, you're, 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 you're um, what's the word? Ste- steeping, 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 right? So you're, you're steeping the tea, uh, but you're controlling how long you're, you're doing that and how much water is actually going into it. So uh, you wet, you wet them. Um, but you don't want the water to like completely screw up the, the, the thing that you have going on up here. So you let it come up and, uh, but not all the way, right? You let it come up a little bit. You see that it sucks it in. You put some more water, you see that it comes back in and, um, but, but you don't go too high up on that angle that you have, right? Just, just enough. And, uh, what I like to do is I, I, I wait until it's no longer soaking into the bottom. So then like, I can see a little bit of the water there and it is the, uh, the person who prepares the, the tea is called the cevador. And so it's the responsibility of, uh, the, the, the cevador to, uh, to, um, to drink the bitterness because the first one is, <laughs> is the most bitter oh yeah the first sip is the most bitter and uh it's the most concentrated right and uh so that's why the person who prepares it has to drink the first one then after that it's up to up to them if they want to share which is the, the traditional custom uh yeah. so then you follow the same rules when you fill it up again uh you fill it up to essentially where the wet line is so there's still dry leaves up in the top and you want to preserve those dry leaves as long as possible but through the natural process right it'll the 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 water line will be um or at least like those dry leaf leaves will start um getting uh, saturated with water with every cycle that you go through it yep and so how did, that's, how uh, did you learn all of this? Like, was this taught to you by one person, or was this just accumulated over time, looking stuff up, etc.? Is a a combination of both, right? So uh, Carla, right? That she she came from Argentina and taught us uh, so many Hi, things. <laughs> yeah, Carla. <laughs> um, she uh, taught us so many things about uh, just astronomy, right? Uh, doing observational astronomy and uh, and you know, essentially how to rough it as a, <laughs> as an astronomer. But in that was also uh, preparing the, the mate. And, uh, and yeah, so that was, that was a, a cultural awakening, right? And uh, <laughs> with, uh, in terms of, of mate specifically, but also a lot of YouTube. Yeah. A lot of YouTube. Yeah. Cool. So I know where I went wrong immediately. I didn't, I didn't, with the first time you pour the water, I don't think I, I poured it on all of the mate that was there. So it did not hold its integrity. So when I poured the hot water, it immediately just <laughs> went all over the place. Mm. Uh, I'll learn. But everything you said about it being a learning process gives me a little bit of hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's that, that's, that's pretty much it. It's a big, <laughs> big learning process. Just like roughing it as an astronomer, as you said, which is, I like that phrase. Like, <laughs> that's how you, that's how, well, at least I think boys and I became astronomers was uh, roughing it and repeatedly learning things and failing and getting better yeah. each time. Yeah. <laughs> wow, we've never had the episode name so early in the podcast. Mate. <laughs> <laughs>
I was oh, thinking roughing it as an astronomer. <laughs> <laughs> astronomer explains how to bake mate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I guess I can, I, we did it slightly out of order, but I actually like this way better. Um, I was, uh, I was going to, I have an introduction. Should I read it at this point or? Cause, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I'll start with the, the excerpt. Nothing puts human existence into context quite like contemplating the cosmos. What you might not guess, sitting comfortably in your living room with a glass of wine and a good book, is that what's happening in your immediate neighborhood is dramatically affected by the evolution of the whole universe. Many of the most important features of our lives here on Earth, our notion of the passage of time, the existence of causes and effects, our memories of the past, and freedom to make choices about the future are ultimately consequences of conditions near the Big Bang. To get a hold of the big picture, we need to put ourselves in cosmological context. It's hard not to be moved when looking at the night sky. In true darkness, far away from the all-pervasive lights of human civilization, the inky black background comes alive with thousands of stars, a handful of planets, and the majestic sweep of the Milky Way galaxy stretching from one horizon to the other. It's also hard to grasp the true extent of the universe on the basis of what we see when we look at the sky. There is no sense of scale, no familiar landmarks by which to judge size and separation. The stars bear a close resemblance to the planets, even though we now know they are quite different. They look nothing like the sun, although now, now we know they are very similar. It's not surprising that ancient cosmologists, when theorizing about the universe, took as its fulcrum the thing they understood the best, themselves. Cultures scattered throughout history have devised a number of imaginative cosmological scenarios, and they tended to share a common conviction that our home, the Earth, was somehow special. Sometimes Earth was at the center of it all. Sometimes it was at the bottom. Very often, it held particular significance for whatever force or God was responsible for creation. One way or another, there was a shared belief that we mattered in the great scheme of things. It wasn't until Giordano Bruno, a 16th century Italian philosopher and mystic, that anyone suggested that the sun was just one star among many, and the earth one of many planets that orbited stars. Bruno was burned at the stake for heresy in Rome in 1600, his tongue pierced by an iron spike and his jaw wired shut. His cosmological speculations were probably not the part of his heresy that the church found most objectionable, but they didn't help any. Today, we understand a great deal about the scale of the universe. Bruno was on the right track. Cosmically speaking, there's no, no indication that we matter at all. That's chapter six, at least the beginning of chapter six, our universe from Sean Carroll's The Big Picture on the origin of life, meaning, and the universe itself. And also, uh, I'm reading the copy that Victor uh, let me read. So, best book. Shout out Sean Carroll. <laughs> Sean Carroll, you can come on the podcast anytime. Invite yeah, me. So, this is the episode on astronomy because we have the astronomer the one who taught us all 
Yeah, so uh, I think it's worth mentioning that we originally recorded a, a, a version of this, what, last summer, so many, many months ago. Um, we were with Moises at Richard's apartment here in Brownsville, and it was a great conversation. And so, yeah, I'm excited for this one, and let's try to make it half as good as that one. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we could begin that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was looking, I was listening to that um, podcast, that audio recording just before us talking today. Um, I think we could start even, I can start with, I even wrote a, an introduction for Moises. Um, I was going to run it by him first, but I guess I have to go on on my own here. So I apologize if I get anything wrong and you should correct me. So. All right. We'll, 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 we'll see. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. So our guest this episode is our collaborator, colleague, and friend, Moises Castillo. A Brownsville and Los Fresnos native, Moises attended university and earned a Bachelor of Science in Physics from the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, during which he also worked as lab manager in the physics department. Moises earned a Master's of Science in Physics from UTRGV in 2019. He's been the assistant director of the Christina Torres Memorial Observatory, where he observed and studied eclipsing binary star systems, as well as a researcher for the Center for Gravitational Wave Astronomy at UTRGV, working under Mario Diaz. Currently, he's stepping into his role as the event coordinator for the space science team of the South Texas Astronomical Society. He's a curious explorer of the world, a talented engineer, an astronomer, the authoritative MC voice, and a great travel partner and friend. Moises, welcome to Receding Horizons. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, I think that introduction was great. <laughs> Didn't get anything wrong? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Good, because I listened to what your introduction was on the last one, and I just listened to what you said. And I thought the way you, because I, I remember the best part about that episode that we did was telling your story. That was like the majority of that, at least that first half. And I, lo I loved how you told your story, um, how you include oh, your parents and your family and all of that. So, yeah. No pressure this time. <laughs> no pressure this time. It's going to be like, so the story is, and then it's going to cut to whatever it was. <laughs> the version no, one, last time. no one will know. No one will know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess what I could say is, um, what I said, what, uh, what I could ask is what I asked last time. So who are you? Because that's literally how I asked it last time. But <laughs> I wrote, who is Moises? Castillo? What are you doing in my apartment? <laughs> what are you doing? You, yeah, you remember. Oh my God. Is that, I, I was just saying that. As a, that's, a, that's what okay. I said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I thought you, uh, wow. Well, okay. <laughs> so what are you, what are you doing in the zoom room? I guess uh, is, is a better question to ask. All right. What what am I doing here? So uh, I was invited. Um, also, it seems uh, my my internet is currently unstable. So this is uh... <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that was a bad setup. That was a tough setup. Like, who? Why are you here? It's like go. one of the added challenges of uh, of today's world, right? Better question would be, well, how did Moises Castillo end up? doing what he's doing now why are you talking to victor and i and where did all where did it all begin 
how did it all begin for you? Um, okay. So present time, um, why did it all begin for me? So there's, there is, uh, well, I don't know. Let's see. So this means an interest in astronomy. You know, it's like this innate curiosity that I carry just of the world that's around me. Right. Uh, I, I, I'm not exactly too sure how it came about, uh, how it was, uh, you know, successfully nurtured after, you know, uh, so many years of being curious. Uh, I'm still curious about just how everything, uh, how everything works and, uh, how, how everything is like happening, you know? And so, you know, as a child, uh, in Los Fresnos, it, it, it was far away enough from, from big city lights that, um, still being in the city limits, you can see tons of stars, you know? And, uh, and this was something that I, I used to do with my friends. Uh, we were just stargaze. So literally just like lay outside, look up, see if we see things moving, hope they're aliens, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, um, this, this was, this was pretty much it, you know, like I, we would uh, spend a lot of time, uh, just, you know, talking about, you know, possibilities, um, or impossibilities, right. <laughs> uh, just of, of the world and the things that we, we would see then, um, I would watch a lot of TV, uh, a lot of documentaries, uh, growing up. Um, and, uh, I would always see there was that title that would pop up next to the, the person who was speaking in the documentaries that I enjoyed the most. And most of the time, the, 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 the title would be physicist. You know, it's kind of a shame. I don't remember the, the, who they were. So I never, like, if you were to ask me, like, who is my idol, you know, or like, who did, did like, I don't have one in particular uh, from, from those times. It's just something like a trend that I would see, right? So it's like physicist, astrophysicist. Um, uh, and I guess more up until more recent times, right. That I could, I could start naming people that I see on TV, but like, that's, that's not how it was growing up. It wasn't, it wasn't the people that interested me. It was what they were doing, you know? And, uh, and the, that, that, that was it. Right. So like I was hooked on, on TV. This was, you know, <laughs> elementary school, middle school. Um, <laughs> uh, so I grew up with, with a lot of TV, <laughs> but, uh, but aside from that, you know, uh, probably, you know, I should also give a shout out to, to my, my teachers growing up too. Uh, I, that's, uh, something that, um, when I've talked about it in the past, I don't think I've, I've mentioned them before, but like, I've, I remember growing up my, I, I always enjoyed my, my science teachers. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, also my, my math teachers, um, they, they've, they really like today, uh, when when I think about people taking classes, they're like, "Why do I even need any of this stuff? I'm never going to use it." Like, okay, maybe you, but like, this is stuff that like I I I I might need to use tomorrow or even today, later today, right? So it's almost a an everyday thing <laughs> of the stuff that they taught me back like as early as middle school for sure, right? Uh, I mean, technically, there's like the basic arithmetic that we learned like back in elementary, but. Um, but yeah, right. So like growing up and so, um, from middle school into high school, um, 
I have, like, I still maintain that same curiosity, right? Um, though my, my friends and I wouldn't necessarily, you know, be stargazing as frequently as we used to, uh, from elementary to middle school. Um, we, we would still try, you know, to hang out and look up at the stars, but, uh, but, you know, we start developing, uh, our, our persons more (laughs) during those times. And so interests, uh, broaden probably as well. And, um, but in high school, I was given a pretty cool opportunity. I remember um, I was in, it was in the chemistry class. Um, it was the the assistant principal from my middle school that came in, and he's like, "Hey, y'all! Like, uh, I'm here." Uh, oh no, no, no! It was an email. The first time was an email, and uh, the the our chemistry teacher got an email, and she's like. Hey y'all, who'd want to go to college? And then like, boom, immediately I raised my hand and it's just like, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. This, the, that email didn't apply to y'all. I'm like, Shucks. Okay. Uh, this was uh, sophomore year of high school. This was sophomore year of high school. And so that's year two of four in the traditional sense for high school. Um, then, um, then it happened the, the second time, except that this time somebody came into the classroom to talk to us. And that was the assistant principal from, uh, or the previous assistant principal of the, of the middle school there. And, uh, and he, uh, he's like, all right, so who wants to go to college? <laughs> you know, I raised up my hand and he's like, there's a, there's a really great opportunity. And uh, there was a, it was at the time a pilot program for um, a very well-established program now, the Math and Science Academy at now UTRGV. Uh, it had started at then, you know, the legacy institution, UT Brownsville. And um, there, it was a really small class for us to start with. Um, I think the, the starting class was about 30. The graduating class was cl- close to 30. And, uh, and so I am one of those. The love of my life was also one of those. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's actually where we met. And so <laughs> we've been, we were, we were uh, high school sweethearts. We, we like get kind of confused because when we started the program, we, we were no longer technically high school students, but we kind of still were because we were enrolled at the university full time. You were right? science sweethearts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need to make your own term for that. Like, oh, were you high school sweethearts? No, we were uh, pre-college sweethearts. Uh, uh, no, actually, we were pre-college sweethearts. <laughs> Pre-college sweethearts. Yeah, but I don't know, because like we were in the same classrooms and lecture rooms with all the other university students. So that's uh, that that's that was a unique take, right? So my junior and senior year, I finished uh, within the university, right? So I got I got high school credit for university courses. Usually, most programs are the other way around, right? So you get usually get um, the university credit for the high school courses. Uh, I mean, you get the, yeah, yeah, you get the university credit for high school courses, but here, like we were all in, right. And, um, and yeah, so like once, once we were there, probably the second week, the first week, uh, you know, getting used to stuff. The second week we were there, uh, one of my friends, uh, came back in to, uh, to like that we had like a homeroom and he's like, yeah, I just finished declaring my major. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, there's, there's a thing you can do to declare your major. And, uh, I'm like, all right, I got to go. Where is this place? And I went directly to the, 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 then, um, I'm not sure what the specific like college of science 
you know, uh, room was then, but I went there and, uh, I'm like, all right, I want to declare my major physics. Are you, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, why not? Okay. Just, just saying. And that's, and that's usually the reaction I get now. And probably you too, Richard, when you tell people you're studying physics, it's something that I, I, I you know, I really want to work you know, just chisel away at that reaction from people. So like now when you tell them studying physics, they'll rather than be like, like scared, they'll be like, oh, wow, that's so cool. Tell me more. If you put astro in front of <laughs> physicists, then, then, then they'll want to talk yeah, to you. Yeah, oh, okay. I, I, maybe I should practice doing that. <laughs> Astrophysics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so then then that puts me into to college, right? So I... I, my, my parents, right. Oh, here it is. That's why I didn't know why I brought up my parents, but yeah. So I had made a promise to them very early on that I wouldn't, um, I, I didn't want that. And this was actually something that I, that I told myself, I didn't actually, uh, maybe I even, I might've told my mom, you know, but uh, like a, a promise that I, I kept to myself was that, um, I wouldn't, I, I would do my best. So they would not have to hate anything towards my, my, uh, college education. Right. So like I, I wanted to do my best. I knew that there was uh, uh, programs, right, that help with this. I knew that there was things that existed with to to, to help financially. And um, at, the, at the time, like my, my mom wasn't working uh, at all. She, like she would take care of us. Um, I have an older brother, a younger sister. And uh, so like she she uh, decided she, she like she chose to be uh, mostly a stay at home mom. Um, and uh and my dad would be out of town right so i guess that doesn't leave much of a choice for my mom you know <laughs> to whether or not to be a a, a stay at home mom or not but uh i mean this is a reality for for a lot of people right so like dad goes out to work uh my dad would work out of town so he'd be gone for for long periods of time from the house so it would be you know and sometimes it would, he would be working in different states uh for long periods of time uh to to bring in some income Right. And so um, we would usually be floating around with with our income. It wasn't uh, something that was too, too stable. Right. And um, so that was one of the, the largest motivators for me to to, uh, you know, not ask of that of my parents financially. And uh, um, luckily, like as these opportunities came up, I've been able to take advantage of these opportunities. So um, pretty early on. I was always hanging around the, uh, the physics department and, uh, I, I was asked at some point, like, um, you know, just, I, I would literally hang out by the office and just talk to the people that were there. <laughs> I was, I was that guy. <laughs> uh, and, um, um, yeah, there, actually, I don't, <laughs> I remember there's a guy that would always tell me, you know, like he would pass by and be like, what are you doing here? Like, you should just get yourself an office. You know, <laughs> uh, but uh, but um, yeah, I would be there so often. Uh, that's pretty much it. But they, at some point, I learned that there was a, a, like an opening for a student uh, position to work within the department. I'm like, oh sure, you know, let me take that. And so, um, I, like, I want to do physics. Now I'm working for the department. Like, this is all cool. And so I, I like it. I again, this like I took advantage of any opportunity that I had. So this gave me, uh, this opened my eyes into the world of just academia 
and how things function for for an institution, right? For physics in, in general, right? Uh, uh, so this is this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. And um, then uh, then I was offered an opportunity, not as uh, not just you know like sorting uh, you know four years of grants uh, receipts <laughs> into the different grant folders, <laughs> um, uh, which you know is a, a, a point of. A, a point of pride for for us right in our department that we actually you know had those you know massive grants and you know that it was being used appropriately but um uh, you know people had to keep track of all these things and so you know i i got to sort through all the <laughs> the receipts and and put them in order by date <laughs> it had to be done it had to be done yes it had to be done right for the greater good that's right <laughs> But but anywho, like that, um, I, I was finally like I was offered once, uh, you know, I, I reached a higher level in my physics studies, uh, a position within uh, within one of the the research groups, which is uh, the Center for Gravitational Wave Astronomy, and so I pretty much yeah. Um, you know that's been that's been my home for for quite a while now. And uh, that's been my home for quite a while now. And that's under Mario Diaz, right? And he, he's an awesome, awesome guy. And, um, and you know, spearheading so many, uh, like, large projects, you know. And, and so um, I, I in, in this work of administrative type stuff, like, I got to see a lot of essentially what people don't, don't see, you know, like the, the and this is, this is for, for, for just, like, all of us like for the physics department and also the uh the um for the center right for or for cgwa specifically um the the analogy right of the the, the duck float like it looks like it's you know flowing very steady but underneath you see the little feet you know going there's so much that that actually happens and as as lab uh as lab manager uh i i, I like i was there uh, there was a, uh, our institution was made up of, a then UTB was actually UTB TSC. So it was a combination of, it was just the Texas Southmost college, which still exists. It's a community college for, for, um, in the Brownsville area and, uh, right downtown. It was pretty neat. It's really cool. And, um, the campus itself, you know, is, uh, is, is a street that divides UTRGV and, uh, UT or, or TSC, right? Because it's a it was all campus. That's what I was gonna say. It's a beautiful, oh, beautiful campus. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's it's perfect, right? Because like you, you got to experience it too. Like I've seen it. You know, every every year I would go with my parents to like Charro Days downtown, and so we would yeah. see, um, you know, all the festivities. And every time we would go to the parade, so like that's something that I would see frequently. Growing up, I didn't know that that's what I was looking at up until you know. I started going to college there, right? But uh, um, the uh, but you you hadn't seen it ever until you came here, right? At least your first time. Yeah, and you saw. I mean, I was going to ask you: Did you take classes in any of the buildings in T? Because they were doing that at the time on the TSC campus. I didn't have that perspective, but I probably would take almost daily, nightly walks through that campus. It's so beautiful, like by, especially by the Versaca. But yeah. you took you took classes, right? And right, yeah. So so I did just because the the distribution of of classrooms was all concentrated on that side, right? So like, and which was the which was uh the it was 
the college first, right? Then it became the university and college. Uh, the, 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 it was essentially a, like a satellite campus for the university. And then the university then started, uh, you know, growing uh, and the pro- number of programs started growing. And then there was a rift that happened where there was a separation between the, the, the community college and the university. And during that rift, I was, <laughs> I was a lab manager during that time. So uh, mind you, I was still an undergraduate student as well, but uh, I, I probably probably mature enough to handle it. So <laughs> at least that's what I hope, and that's the reason why I was there. But um, but yeah, it was it was very intense negotiations that were happening on their end in terms of ad- administrative things. So I got to to see at least a little bit of that, and uh, and I got to live through it. So it was uh, something that definitely added. Uh, added to to me as a person like who of who i am uh because of that right so i got to see the different layers that uh, an institution actually uh of how an institution actually functions you know at, at the university level which i think is really important to to know as someone who like if you want to be in academia i think you should be aware of the 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 layers that an institution actually is yeah right and 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 Mario would keep us very close to the process too. I remember he would yeah. uh, he would like almost bring us over at various points along our time there and be like, "Hey, just I'm showing you. There's something that's happening that you rarely get to see from this perspective. Mm-hmm. This is important for you to know." And he did that a lot. That's it's very valuable insight. And it right. does. It sounds like in academia you could do anything. It sounds like almost like simply you could do anything you want. Like in terms of research, there's that there's that freedom of research, but it comes with all that other cost, as you say. Yeah, exactly. And so, so, so yeah, so that's, that, that, that pretty much places me now probably around 2013. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so we're close, we're, we're close to, to coming home and, uh, and by home, I mean today right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I was going to say, I think it applies to a lot more than that too. I mean, in the business world, I've, I've been told before, like, oh yeah, no matter how well put together a company seems, like it's always in the background crazy. And I, like your analogy of the duck, and that's kind of how it is for, I mean, some do a better job than others at making it look good on, on the outside. But no matter what, I, I think every almost every organization trying to do anything and trying to be better is is scrambling in the background to do so right you know um for for all the the band geeks and band nerds that, uh, <laughs> or anyone who is currently in a band uh, <clears throat> uh you you know, um you you're probably familiar you know like i just I look at the shows that people put on, you know, and uh, like for, for concerts and there's so much that happens just for, you know, like here right now I'm in my square. Right. And so this is what I'm, what I'm projecting out into, to the world. And this is the exact same thing that's done for, for any performance, uh, a live performance, you know, whether it be theater, whether it be music, but uh, like I got a taste of it, like growing up doing band. Right. And like, you're you're not in very pleasant places before like moments before you know you go onto the stage there's so much like a lot of stuff right that people don't see and so it's uh but all that's uh like um 
I, I, I think it might have even been a, a, like a Lady Gaga show. Like I saw it on on <laughs> on the on the TV. You know, uh, she's like completely glamorous, right? The show is like over the top, amazing. But moments leading up to that, like the the room, um, that like the the, the dressing room. It's a locker room. <laughs> like it's not. It's not that great. <laughs> and they're walking in this very gray, bare um, uh, hallway. There's like, you know, random equipment everywhere that might not even be for the show specifically. And then finally, boom, on stage. And uh, and and yeah. And <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but that's. And then uh, it lasts for a few minutes, and they're back in the locker room. <laughs> and back in the locker room. Yeah. And then and then. <laughs> And, and that's exactly it, right? So like for, for, for organizations, and I guess that's true. I hadn't even thought of that, but for, for businesses, I can see that being true as well. There's a lot that happens in the background um, for, for things to be successful, right? Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it, it almost sounds depressing, but it's not. I think it's just a, it's a side effect of, of ambition. You know, you don't want to get comfortable. And, and that's that like, I, I keep, I, I'd really like how you, what you said about the, when you mentioned you're a physicist and people are like, why? It's like, because it's not, it's not easy. I mean, cause they know right away that that's not an easy thing that, that you suffered a lot and are, I mean, like Richard's still suffering <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's something, it's a hard thing to put yourself through. And so it's like a lot of people are like, why would you do that to yourself? And the truth, well, cause you're ambitious. And just like any organization or company that wants to do better, it's not enough to get one grant or do one good performance. As soon as you you get off that stage or you get the, the degree or you get to that next level, you're like, all right, not going to bask in this, just going to keep moving forward. And uh, so, yeah, it's, I had to, I had to put a non-depressing spin on it. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah. That's, that's, that's definitely true. You know, and, and ultimately that's, that is, that is what happened. Uh, segue back to the story. <laughs> that is what happened with the, uh, <laughs> with, the, with the labs, you know, like I, I have this, uh, um, like I have this knack, right. Of doing stuff with my hands. Like I like to do, I like to do stuff. And tinker. I like to see, yeah, I'm a tinker, right? So that's, that's my hey, hey, what do you do? Stuff. Stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, yeah, but, but really, like, I like to do stuff. And um, so, so this lends itself really nicely, just like we're doing experiments for physics. And so, meanwhile, I was also... Uh, lab manager, I got to test out like doing uh, physics demos, right? So like doing physics demonstrations. And sometimes, uh, you know, I got to try things out uh, for myself, which was something that was pretty cool. Like I would grab some of the equipment that was there in the lab and uh, string stuff together. And whenever I got some <laughs> something working that was really fascinating, I would open the door, look outside and see if anyone was around like, here, come, come look at this. And I remember I remember showing one of the demos to a professor and he's like, wow, like this is, this is really cool. <laughs> uh, the, the, the um, yeah, that demo in particular was uh, talking about uh, uh, coupling, coupling two pendulums. And so like I had two pendulums equal, equal length, equal mass, and I would hold one still, let go of it, pull one back and then let it go. It starts swinging and uh, these two pendulums were attached on a string, so it was allowed to give just a little bit. There was enough 
uh, vibration that would uh, that would go through that it would start wiggling the other uh, the other pendulum that was originally still, and it would begin to resonate, and it would get to a point that all the energy from one seemed to get transferred into the other one, and so the original one that I was that that I had picked up and let go is completely still, and the other one is swinging back and forth. And it's just so mind blowing. <laughs> like that kind of stuff is like, why? <laughs> that that the, and and when I when I get it to work, right? Um, that that I think that's probably my drive like, to 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 keep on going. And uh, the and that and that's one of one of one of my things, right? Uh, it's it's not a red like this is well, this is my my mission in life. Like my mission statement is. Um, to uh, um, to help curious minds grow curiouser, that is my 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 personal mission statement. And so when I figure stuff out like that, like I want to share it with everybody. <laughs> and uh, so that's why the labs were were something that were so meaningful to me. And uh, just like everyone having a good lab experience was something that that was essentially personal for for me. Right. Even as an undergrad, like I got a, a really deep appreciation for the activities that we were doing and uh, the intention that was made uh, when those labs were first created. And so like anytime there would be any kind of failure, I would be like, all right, let me think about it. All right, I think I have a fix so we can keep that intention working for, for uh, moving forward. And so like after after um after you know the split with UTB and then TSC, uh, the new TRGV came around uh, and and was established as the university institution um, that uh, that that we that that we are now, right? And so um, I started grad school, 2012, right? So I graduated with my physics uh, bachelor's degree, and I started grad school, and uh, and. Um, yeah, I was uh, I was at one point working on a different project that wasn't astronomy. It was more materials related, and uh, there was this big project, the observatory. Uh, then it was called Numpawenu Observatory, and it was sitting at uh, the the Brownsville campus of UTRGV. Um, at that point, let me think about it. Um, four, five. So. At that point, I I don't think it was there anymore. I'm not sure, Richard. When when was it that you came came on over to to campus? I came uh, like when I moved to campus or when I moved to Brownsville. Uh, Brownsville. Uh, 2016. It was yeah, it was gone by then. I think it got moved. It was there like in 2013, and then it got moved. So in 2014, it, it was 20. It was 2012 when I think the 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 thing happened. So. <laughs> one of the 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 I, I, real quick i've always been curious because i've never even known where exactly at utb was the observatory right by my apartment. oh really yeah huh. behind yeah the behind center. the rec center so there's a street where the rec center is and uh where the apartments are yes and drive down that street and you keep on driving down that street. Don't turn into the parking lot for the for the rec center. Like you just keep on driving down that street. There is uh, the old. Um, I'm not even sure what it is. Like some naval office, or uh, I think it used to be the uh, um, where the National Guard was, uh, the for for Texas. And um, on now there's a school that's there. So you'll see Bex, the Brownsville Early College High School, 
right there. And there, I think it's still there, the concrete pad <laughs> where, the, where the dome was. So you should see like this big concrete pad there by itself. Next That's time. a memorial. Wow. What was that, a memorial? <laughs> yeah, we should. <laughs> mm-hmm. That should be. <laughs> Designated as a historic memorial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We could also use it as an example of uh, dark sky pollution. Be like, this is what happens. When... <laughs> yeah. Just so... an empty slab of concrete. Are you happy? Concrete. Are you happy? <laughs> don't don't let your observatory become a yeah, slab. <laughs> that's funny because I mean it would probably be a really good poster because you can see the floodlights like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's important to keep the buildings safe too, right? So. Um, that's true right so uh but right we, we should be uh somewhat responsible with with our lightings uh <laughs> um somewhat possible or switch to infrared oh cameras yeah. for your- well I, I don't know i don't know if that would help for observations any right <laughs> um that's true but uh yeah that's just sensitivity right ir with the uh with the cameras <laughs> uh, oh infrared with a telescope yeah you're talking about ah uh, oh yeah. no 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 yeah i thought you meant uh yeah. security yeah the, yeah the oh yeah that would work too right <laughs> um <laughs> yeah and uh yeah so 2012 started grad school and uh i was teaching labs uh no, no longer in my role as uh as lab uh manager right uh since we became utrgv we were larger uh just suddenly larger institution right including the 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 we are we we are now uh, as we are now right so we are uh, an edinburgh campus a brownsville campus uh we now have a medical school uh based in harlingen um and we have many labs and different just uh facilities spread throughout the the rio grande valley so uh cool it's great stuff right so like we're wherever we have a clinic right so like there's there's a funk a fully functional clinic um uh, in uh, one of the the areas that um, is on the outskirts, I think of of McAllen. I'm not exactly sure where exactly the clinic is, but uh, I think that's really cool, right? Because it's given back to to the community. And uh, and yeah, so we 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 I I, I was uh, I was working on a different project, and uh, Mario tells me, uh, all right, we says I need your help to make sure that this project gets done. And so at this point, uh, we we we're fast forwarding to um, twenty sixteen. So the 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 observatory, just like the, the quick run, is that the observatory was dismantled, <laughs> and it sat in storage for about four years before, even though it already had a, a resting spot uh, or like its its current location now, it was already decided since then where it was going to be. But there was again these logistical hurdles and uh, layers of 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 institution that had to to go. But not and, and I don't mean just on our side. I also mean you know all parties involved, which is Texas Parks and Wildlife. Uh, I think probably even City of Brownsville might have had to do a part with this too, especially since we were moving <laughs> these uh, large pieces of equipment <laughs> uh, from uh, from from one side of town to uh out of the to the edge of town right so mm-hmm. um there there was there was a lot of, of logistical things and then i i when i came into the group uh the observatory was just a shell so like the the the, the structure itself was up but uh everything needed to be put in place so i've probably 
touched a lot of the of the observatory right <laughs> already by this point <laughs> um yeah um and i've 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 functioned as uh, as you know uh richard said in the introduction uh, as engineer though not not i do i do want to be uh like give justice to to all the engineers i'm not like a state certified engineer i i don't have formal uh, i'm not an engineer by trade it's just in 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 practice essentially with the the necessities of of the things that need to happen in the you just do stuff with your hands you just do stuff <laughs> with my hands yeah <laughs> yeah and um and and yeah so like like setting up the 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 telescope you know getting the pier in its place uh making sure you, you know the basic things making sure that the that the observatory shuts completely <laughs> one of the things that one of the earliest problems i was looking back at some pictures we see that um there was probably like when they made the concrete pad it was made to be the exact shape of the of the dome but uh anyone who works with uh, round observatories knows they're all eggs right so we we know they don't they don't necessarily sustain their their circular perfect circular shape so you should if you're thinking about making your own observatory take that into consideration <laughs> um so uh the doors were outside of that like radius of of the um of of the concrete pad so there was like a three inch gap underneath and i mean one of the things you want to be careful with is just like dust right so like we are in a dusty area there's a lot of wind that kicks up here in south texas and so uh that was going to be a big problem <laughs> that was going to be a really big problem so um i uh you know got a hammer drill i made some holes in the concrete put some rebar laid some concrete <laughs> i i filled in that spot <laughs> and uh yeah walton was there to see this happen actually so we have some uh, hey, walton. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we 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 have some uh, some pictures together from from those times, and uh, and then and then that's when I met Richard, <laughs> twenty sixteen. Yes, so we're 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 uh, the beginning of of the observatory, which was then in uh, twenty eighteen. Is that correct? I, I, I'm getting my years mixed up now. For for no no, it's okay. You, everything just shift everything back like so it's like 2015 was when there was a shell yeah. and then 2016 i think by that summer it was co- like complete because that's when carlos and raul were there, exactly and they calibrated the, the telescope it's all first light in october mm-hmm. of 2016 then i got invited by mario in november 2016 and then from then on I think 20, 2018 or 2019 was when we, okay, so 2019 was when we upgraded optics, right? Mm. We went from mm-hmm. 16 to 17. Yeah. And okay. so, okay. yeah, I mean, then, then we, we did the inauguration, right? Where we renamed the, the, the dome, or not the dome, but the observatory itself to uh, the Dr. Cristina Valeria Torres uh, Astronomical, or Memorial, Astronomical Memorial Observatory. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I got the order wrong. <laughs> I, I, I'm I heard, so used to calling it CTMO. Me, me too. So. And so I, I, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> yeah. So the Dr. Cristina Valeria Torres um, Memorial Ast- Astronomical uh, Observatory. It's Memorial Astronomical. Uh, Memorial Astronomical. Because I remember it ending in Mao. Mao. Like, when I was, right. when we were going through, like yeah. I remember when we renamed it. 
we had that kind of quick meeting like okay what are we going to call the acronym because we're astronomers and because it has we're to have an acronym. it has to be an acronym yeah. yes 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 and uh but essentially like christina was was a mentor of mine in you know just the upbringing of this nurturing curiosity uh in 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 others right and um and yeah so like that's that's essentially the whole point of our observatory is being part of the community and uh and still you know nurturing this uh this uh curiosity that we are all born with mm-hmm. that's all i've ever seen there working there and uh meeting so many students and teaching people and learning from people and all the different things that the observatory went through during my time there uh working with you i've seen that entirely um yeah the uh the the one thing i wanted to ask i don't know if there's um a good way to just go into different things we're going into so many different topics so i mean no this um, is is fine this is this is what this is what we're here for (laughs) right right so i guess i'll ask a kind of an interesting question is um how do you farm telescopes how does some how do you farm telescopes How, how do you farm telescopes well um you know, we use the the uh, the traditional method, like, like as in, in Minecraft. First, you have to till, you know, a couple blocks. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, <laughs> and um, you have to mine the creepers. And uh, I'm so yeah. glad you made like. Okay, so I have to say also that Moises makes the best sound effects, and uh, it wasn't random that I picked uh, that he's a good travel partner because literally on a 12-hour car ride. Uh, it'll never be quiet. It'll, yeah. it'll, there'll always be some sort of beat or sound happening. So yeah, <laughs> something about your vocal yeah. cords that just. <laughs> well, you should tell the story, Moises, about how you spooked me early on in the observatory. Remember, because you were able to. Oh. Like... <laughs> you need to make sure I'm hydrated for this. <laughs> Well, actually, I'm not sure which sound anymore. I'm, I'm... I don't remember, but he basically there's like a the, the acoustics in the observatory. <laughs> it made, he, he he could make it sound like it came from outside the building, and it sounded like an animal. And he's like, "Did you hear that?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, Mo- Moises had a great teaching strategy for me. Every time I would be learning how to do something, he would just like his eyes would get big suddenly or he would just be like like you sure even if it was like right or wrong uh it was a it was a good learning device oh he get people to question themselves yeah yeah am i sure yeah what am i doing here (laughs) i i think i think that's a probably this this is one of the uh, uh teaching strategies or techniques that you can use is shake someone to their core make them doubt themselves internally and if internally they can win that conflict then then you know that they learned it <laughs> cause existential crisis overcome existential <laughs> crisis it's it's there for good no this that, is... that or have a noodle remember the noodle oh the noodle uh, also right. a good we don't we, we don't be... uh, condone corporal punishment but uh, uh <laughs> we do have a pool noodle and it's um been used for teaching experiences let's say let's <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but um yeah the noodle the um 
Yeah. So, so farming for telescopes, we, uh, we actually had to do something similar to that. <laughs> well, the, the area where we're at floods. So that's something like for, for people that aren't aware of, you know, where, where we're at, we sit in a Delta. Like that yeah. is, uh, the, like where I'm at now, probably years ago was part of a, part of a river at some point. Right. So, um, and that's just the nature of, of, uh, the river Delta areas. Um, and, uh, so when w- there, there are, there are those few instances where sometimes, uh, it could be, it could be, uh, as often as once every year, you know, so like, it's not uncommon that one day, just suddenly like, Oh, it's a nice morning out today. And, uh, you know, it just pours continuously for 30 minutes and then it becomes a beautiful day again. That moment, everything is flooded. <laughs> and so, um, and yeah, I mean, and uh, there, there are some areas around here where the infrastructure is not so great. So the water stays there for a long time and, uh, that's, that's not so good. And uh, we're we are susceptible to hurricanes here as well. So every once in a while, we'll get some of those armbands from the hurricanes uh, as they make their way through either the south. Uh, we've been pretty fortunate that we haven't had one uh, hit us directly. But I mean, it doesn't matter where you're at in terms of the area of any of the part of that weather system. It it, it could be pretty bad. It doesn't matter if it hits directly or if the eye hits directly or not. And so. Um, we uh that's just part of the nature of living in the gulf coast you know like this is this is the uh, the reality of it and uh the it, it has flooded and uh i remember one time that uh that it, it rained we have a storage container that is like one of those shipping containers uh that like those metal ones you open up area 51 um, Area fifty one. <laughs> no, <laughs> the uh, the um. So the oh, I think I'm frozen right now. I I can hear you. Just everything's fine. Uh, for I me. think I'm frozen now, and I'm not sure if you guys can hear me or not. Let me see. I can hear you. Any... Okay, perfect. Okay. Yeah, we can. Yeah, it, it, it's it's like nothing happened. Um, like nothing. Maybe happened. there was some audio delay or something. Okay. Okay. So. Um, right. So we have those, those storage containers or we have a storage container. We don't have multiple, like we just have that one and, um, it had flooded, like it rained really hard. And, um, I remember when I drove, uh, to the park, I went to go check just to, to make sure that like, okay, the, the, air, the, the equipment was dry. And I remember at that point, some of the water had already receded, but I can see the water line above like the opening of where the, uh, the, the doors actually are. So uh, luckily everything inside there stayed dry, right? That's how they make those shipping containers. Wow. And, uh, and the dome itself sits on a concrete pad that was intentionally like higher than the rest of mm-hmm. the ground. But at that time, the rest of the ground was like really low. So uh, one of the things that we did is we, we had some um, uh, pavers installed, but before they put the pavers, they put like a, a they raised the level uh, ever so slightly. So it wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't succumb to flooding uh, or at least not nearly as much. And, uh, and then we had concrete pads installed that were at the same height to where the dome was. 
like the, the big dome. And, um, and, I, and now I'm, I'm using particular language here where I say big dome because we have these, uh, what's also necessary to have a, a farm is uh, you need mini domes <laughs> to, to host your, your other, um, to, to host your other dome or your other telescopes. And um, inside each of these mini domes will, will reside a telescope. So this is one of the, the projects that we're currently working on is uh, getting the telescopes uh, communicating to uh, the internet. <laughs> so we, we have like the, the, the latest scoop is that we actually have one that has uh, um, like the dome, like all the domes are there. And by all, I mean, we have nine, let me, let me count them real quick. Uh, one, one. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, it should, it should be nine. <laughs> we have nine. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, uh, mini domes, and of those nine, there are three telescopes sitting in in um, three of those nine. So um, we, we have guests apparently. Contribution to the conversation. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> they 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 are barking in agreement. Yeah, so they agree. <laughs> they were like nine, dude. It's nine. <laughs> it's nine. It's nine. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Wait, but, so there's uh, three, yeah, there's there's three tele. Sorry to interrupt. Um, there's three telescopes currently installed. Yeah, yeah. So um, they're not they're not completely set up yet. So none of them has seen first light, but we're so close. We're which ones? So close. Which ones are they? The the guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I we have to, yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those the, you're moving the cups and don't and I'm over like, here like which one is the telescope in carry the two divide by four uh. <laughs> um so if if uh if i remember correctly they they we have some uh 12 inch uh mead telescopes and um and so those are the ones that are in in there now mm-hmm. awesome yeah and the 16 inch will be installed at some point too in one of them hopefully yes yeah and that one actually might be installed sooner than than later we uh one of the issues with that one is just that it's uh it's so big (laughs) it's heavy yeah i was gonna say is that gonna is that gonna wait like big like it's hard to put in there or big like the the mechanics of it moving around in there won't work yes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so that that was one of the challenges is the the uh, the manufacturer where we got our our peers from the thing that holds the telescope up um, has mounts already designed for different telescopes, right? So they're they're adapter mounts that will then hold like all your equipment up. And uh, there was a miscommunication that happened, and when we told them like we have a Mead LX two hundred telescope and. Uh, He's like, all right, here you go. The thing is that the 16-inch Mead LX200 is a, a different beast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, it's it's massive, it's huge. And so, like, if you were to look at the those uh, the tripod that comes with the, the LX200 system, uh, the 16-inch specifically, like this is like massive, thick, thick, yeah, thick. And each leg of the tripod's like this big the the yeah. platform like that's that you put the mount uh on uh for that is just like a chunk of metal like it's huge right. and uh it has it has handles on it so like multiple people can carry it <laughs> and uh 
Yeah, the thing's heavy. And so, um, so um, we had to ask for, for the correct mount um, or like mount adapter for that. And so that was, uh, that was produced in, in Poland and then shipped to, to us. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And so that was a surprise. We didn't know. <laughs> and uh, finally we got it. And, uh, and so that's why we, 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 we have it now. So the, oh, awesome. this is, yeah, that means that it's possible. It's possible to, to be installed sooner than later. And, uh, but that's essentially it. Uh, the, each of those domes requires data. Each of those domes, uh, a data line and a power line. So um, the funny thing is that all the equipment runs on 12 volts. <laughs> it's meant to be portable. So, uh, so it's all low voltage stuff going into each of these domes. Just carry your own power grid. Right. Like, actually, I don't see the problem. Just <laughs> portable uh, generators. <laughs> Take that to an solar, event. So, some solar panels and uh, some chargeable batteries. Yeah. Hopefully in the future. <laughs> in the future, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know Moises and I have speculated about different things we could have uh, at the observatory, you know, like a weather station, et cetera, and solar panels have come up multiple times. Photovoltaics. Mm-hmm. They could be good for student projects. Um, yeah. Now, students will be able to use these mini domes, right? And they're supposed to be remote controllable. Exactly. So um, part, one, of, uh, one of the many hats that I wear is uh, that of a part-time instructor for, uh, for the astronomy labs. So part-time lecturer, I think, is if you look up my, my email at the university, <laughs> it comes out as saying part-time lecturer. That's the title. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the title. And, um, and, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, I, I oversee this semester, I'm overseeing five labs. And, um, so each lab has, you know, uh, over 50 students just about, and, um, this is a pretty unique, uh, uh, just learning environment, right? Cause we're, we're doing it over, uh, over the, the, um, just like this video call. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, uh, uh, myself along with uh, uh, Americo, Americo Nojosa, he's uh, been the one who's been uh, along with me this semester and the previous semester working on on designing these uh, these instructional labs. Right there, there was a there was a team early on that started before I I joined in this in this effort specifically in formal education. Uh, for for these this uh, we call it the the new method in teaching astronomy labs, um, and uh, that was uh, Al- Alan Hendrick and um, uh, Eric Vallarino and hey, Walton Matre. Hello, I'm I'm yeah I'm dropping names, and that's because <clears throat> I think that they they did a lot of work you know b- beforehand, and I think they should also be recognized. The cool thing about Eric and Alan. Uh, I, they, they are my, my, my friends and, uh, and, um, colleagues, right. They, they're my colleagues, but, uh, a lot of people might recognize them as Mr. Hendrick and Mr. Vallarino because they are teachers at, at our high schools. And so, um, the uh, teachers at San Benito high school and at veteran Memorial high school. And so they, this is actually something really cool that they, that they helped do. And, um, it fits perfectly in like the, this workflow that we're trying to do where we're, we're trying to make, uh, you know, essentially astronomy accessible to everyone. And, uh, and in that is, is exactly that, that the students, um, 
in our astronomy lab, we're essentially teaching them how to become observational modern day. And uh, this is careful with words. This is what I tell my students all the time. You got to be careful with, with words. Um, and uh, a, a modern day observational astronomer. Modern day observational astronomer. Yeah, just because now we use computers to look at stuff and take data and all this. And so <laughs> um, there are typically 11 labs during a semester. And by the lab, the end of lab six, they have, um, they have done a connection to a simulated telescope and uh, like a simulated observatory, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, telescope and CCD, where they like use the go-to commands on the simulator using using this program and um, and take some initial data and even look at the the simulated FITS files that come off of that simulation and do just a, a basic visual analysis. That's really interesting. And so from that simulation, they learned the overall concepts of like. Um... So the modern observational astronomy is like with CCD cameras, uh, digital images, and um, do they go into like different astrophysical phenomena? Like, or are you doing one particular uh, object, like type of object? So right now, uh, no, actually, like they, we, we try to cover, uh, oh, right. So just to, to put things in context, this is inter- intro to astronomy, one. So this is the, the lab that complements the class. And so in it, what we're doing is actually trying, like the idea is that we learn astronomy by doing astronomy the way that astronomers do. That's my, that's the, that's the catchphrase that I use. <laughs> yeah, for, for, I feel for, like you could fit one last astronomy in there. The way astronomers yeah. do astronomy, just to say it like five times. <laughs> Sub- subtitle, uh, roughing it as an astronomer. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, the 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 idea is like first we need to catch them up to modern times, right? So like the that's why we spend the first uh, the first five labs in developing this conceptual uh, uh, like um, roadmap to get us to modern day uh, astronomy, right? Uh, the first lab starts off with this uh, whole concept of spatial recognition of what it means to like look at a star, right? Um, and the coordinates that we use to do that. That's actually, you know, early on, I like I hear people saying right ascension declination from when I started physics, there was a, that, that group, the, uh, the, the ARC group, the Arecibo Remote Command Center that like I, I, I was friends with and I got to do a remote observation one night, my, my, not by myself, but like I attended one of these observations and, uh, and I would see right, right ascension declination, hear people talk about it. I'm like, what even is this? And, <laughs> and that's how we look at stuff in the night sky, you know, or actually not even in the night sky. This is what, how we point stuff out in space from earth. Right. And, uh, we get the spatial recognition. We get this concept of, okay, I want to look at things through the atmosphere. What are things that I need to keep in mind? Right. So like my observatory is here, like for example, in the Valley. So there's a lot of humidity. All right. Um, I need to take into consideration the cloud coverage March for us. We get a lot, a lot of clouds during this time. I'm curious, how is it over there, Richard? (laughs) Lately, it's been actually pretty overcast. Um, And I was looking over here because I have a tornado warning right now. So um, 
first one. But anyway, uh, okay, <laughs> this, this just did. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's kind of it's been cloudy and windy here. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay, yeah. And um, the the um, like other effects, like atmospheric effects, right? Or yeah, exactly. And so we have to like we sh- we we tell people like essentially having themselves question why do we do certain things right so like what are the effects if we were to do it other ways so like uh, one of the questions why why do observatories usually pick uh, desertic places why do they pick uh, places with really high altitude and um, and then we get to show them a picture of the toros uh, telescope the <laughs> the uh, the the project that uh, utrgv is spearheading in argentina yeah, yeah it looks like it looks like uh, mars up there yes yeah <laughs> it's very dry yeah. <laughs> um, and and windy and um and cold apparently so <laughs> yeah it's the it's, isn't it the driest place in the world yeah um, and i think it has the best measured seeing conditions so i'll let i'll let moises at some point explain what seeing is but basically the smaller that is the better and uh it has like the best seeing in the world for astronomers yeah the uh yeah the the um uh well just just, i I said toros but but actually uh, as richard said it's like astronomers (laughs) with their with their acronyms (laughs) let's say the transient yeah because there's also a yeah, Sorry, yeah. did not mean to interrupt in the middle of the acronym. That felt like, whoa, a, like a sin. You're good. You're I was going to say, no, yeah, especially here because there's actually a, a soccer team called Toros. Oh, yeah, that's true. The Toros FC, right? So we, yeah. Yeah. The um, football club, right? So just putting it out there. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're cool. Um, the, uh, right, Toros. Toros is the Transient Optical Robotic Observatory of the South. I had to practice that line so many times <laughs> because we were going to do a public presentation at one point where I like, they're like, all right, Moises, you are MC. Okay. You have to make sure you introduce Toros to the public. Okay. <laughs> what is Toros? And I would slip up so many times trying to get through those words. <laughs> you know, it never hit me until right now, but being an MC is so natural to you that it's literally your initials. And I'm sure you've heard that before. <laughs> I'm I, sure I was, I'm not the first person that said that. These are my complete initials. I was born to do this. <laughs> MC is MC. Yeah. There's there's no middle name or second just, last name. It's only <clears throat> MC. I mean, just to walk be honest, up anywhere with the with the stage and grab the mic, and people are like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. Just like what I was born to do. <laughs> He does have the best ladies and gentlemen. I've ladies heard. and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had to pull up. A, well, I, I recently had to use iMovie again to, to do um, a video. And I listened again to the Star Wars one that mm-hmm. you narrated. And oh, it's so great. <laughs> oh, it's so good. With the, with the, was there like Star Wars music playing too? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, your voice so on top of Star Wars music is just like. Nothing more natural. Yeah. <laughs> Which Jedi's lightsaber? <laughs> I don't know. I wanna. I wanna redo that. Uh, the uh, just go through that trivia again. Like, because more more recently, I, I like restarted m- my entire learning of Star Wars. 
right? So like <laughs> this, uh, at least uh, yeah. in terms of visual, in terms of visual media, uh, that that's that's this has been like the longest binge of Star Wars. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> well, that was for May the fourth last year, and May the fourth is coming up. So oh yeah, yeah yeah. This is maybe we should start thinking of some Star Wars thing to do. Yeah. If like I don't know if we're even allowed to like watch them online and people probably not, but yeah, I no. would just like to, I would like a marathon Star Wars during that time. Usually that's something I like to just do. host like a ten hour event where we watch one movie, but like every minute you pause it and explain the science <laughs> of what just happened. <laughs> so it's not a ten hour event. It would be like a, a, a week long event. Like actually, <laughs> this laser see this laser bolt was removed in the in the new version. <laughs> <laughs> A week per movie. Uh, we we it can be like the, the the commentators, right? So we'll just be there and uh, yeah. Oh my well, God. what do you think about this? You know, and just be like you you can be there like while pe- like there's there's like maybe a, a main timestamp so everyone keeps track of where they're at in the movie. But like we're, we're just here talking about it while it's playing. <laughs> yeah, we just have like the Zoom room open and be like, so did did Han shoot first in that scene? What do you think? Send us your like you could even do a like a YouTube live live stream of that, so then people can submit questions and we could actually do like could we actually do that as a thing maybe uh, as a stars event like a May the Fourth event? We are the content team. I mean, Rena should oh, be that's, here too. That's yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been that, looking into Zoom yeah, web, that, that, webinar. That, that, it's possible. Oh, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. The um, just the new way of teaching astronomy. The new way, I know. yeah, but yeah. So you, you talked about the about the mini domes and and the equipment that's going there, mm-hmm. but it's something that kind of comes up a lot is the I mean the main dome, the, the CTMO. Can can you explain a little bit of the the setup in there right now? The the setup in there right now. So right now. Um, this is the, the upgrade, right. That Richard was talking about that we have now the 17 inch, what we refer to in short words is a CDK. Uh, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, a telescope that was made, uh, well, actually being, being very particular with the words is an astrograph created by, uh, <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually it's a, an astrograph made by, um, by plane wave, plane wave instruments. And, uh, it is very nice. It works so smooth com- <laughs> compared to the, my prior experience of, of the, the, the telescopes, the, uh, the mount that the 17 inch telescope sits on, um, Oh, also just, you know, in, for, for some added context, right? Because there might be people who aren't aware to, you know, what does that mean? I'm saying 17 inch and when we said 16 inch earlier. That's the diameter of the, of the mirror that reflects the light for, um, or that collects the light um, that in, in the telescope that we're using. So um, you'll hear... Um, people talking about meter class telescopes. And so like those are huge, right? Um, those, those telescopes are, are, are uh, at least one meter <laughs> in diameter. And uh, the ones that we, that one that we're using right now is, uh, is, is 17 inches in, in diameter. And um, 
it uh, it has an open truss design, so it looks really cool whenever the sh- the shroud's not on there. Like you can see, like the cool like carbon fiber uh, trusses, and uh, the mount that it's sitting on is an L type mount. It's the L five hundred. They call it the direct drive because those motors are. Um, if I, if I remember correctly, I think they're and you know maybe the 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 the, the, <laughs> the engineers from from Plane Wave if if they hear this are like this guy what is he saying don't at me <laughs> yeah yeah don't at me <laughs> um, they, well these uh, direct drives are super smooth like they work so well especially after tuning <laughs> especially after tuning um, like it, it's able to. Uh, um, the the technical specs they said something that it can move something like i don't know what i don't know if you remember richard something like 50 degrees or something per second i don't know something really ridiculous so um so like it can like wow it can track satellites like you could um you can give it like the projected or the predicted ephemeris of an of a passing satellite like the uh, iss or something and it would be able to track it so you can like normally telescopes well i don't want to say normally see i I should be careful with my words um the telescope that the the observatory uses tracks ideally so like it'll follow this something in the sky the way the celestial sphere rotates conceptually um uh, but you can uh redirect it to look at um proper motion objects like asteroids moving overhead in different directions etc so um could you also specify what cd like cdk stands for do you do you remember so so the so the it's it's actually um initials for for something that actually i never explored too deeply into so i don't know <laughs> yeah um but i i think you know yeah i was just trying i, I just wanted to <laughs> i prefer you to answer questions because you're the guest but um, that's a corrected doll kirkham um and basically what that means is you have two mirrors most reflectors have two mirrors a bit a primary and then a secondary and they can be different shapes so this one has a flat shape primary and the secondary is hyperbolic or parabolic and i forget exactly what that what it is but it's a weird shape secondary which cancels like what we would call aberration effects so um a classic example is like when light passes through a prism, the light splits into component parts and through a telescope with glass, like a refractor, you would see that in certain targets, you would see this chromatic aberration. So you can cancel stuff like that with the different shapes of the mirrors. And so the one at CTMO has a very special secondary mirror shape. So. Yeah. Bingo. And yeah, cool. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for, 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 for teaching us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, then, uh, what, what else? The, okay. So that's the telescope itself. The dome is, is huge. Like the dome is actually like unnecessarily. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Seemly> like, big. <laughs> yeah. So like our, our, our dome could actually handle, you know, a really large telescope like it, it is it is possible to put Peter class yeah uh, probably yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 it could yeah. hold it could hold something double its aperture it could do like a 30 35 inch telescope no problem wow yeah 
And so why do we have such a large telescope? It's so we can invite people in. And that's actually it. And so we have that, that, that floor space so we, could, uh, so, so we can have people in there. Um, of course, it's been very sad for us that we haven't been able to have people in there just because of the limitations and the restrictions that we had with, with COVID. But it seems like we, we, can, we, we are almost able to see the light at the end of that tunnel. So this is, this is good, good for us. But um, the, the, aside from that, we, we also have, um, we have the, the um, we're working on a control room. Right. So like in the, in the North or where it gets cold, like for real, <laughs> um, I think they call them warm boxes. Uh, right. Or a, a warm rooms, a warm room. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, and again, like I, I live here in, in the South and I've been here all my life. And so <laughs> I don't know what it means to be really cold. Well, I mean, now I do at least a little bit. Right. So <laughs> I think all of Texas does now. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, everybody but, uh, yeah, so that that was uh, oh man, and th- that was that was pretty pretty intense. And I I didn't go see the dome that day. There was that one time that it snowed. I did go for the snow day, but I didn't go this time around when when we had the freeze. And um, something that I, I messaged Americo, uh, telling him. Um, Americo is like the the operations manager for for uh, hi. <laughs> he uh, he I, I messaged him and I told him the dome right now is probably frozen shut like uh, this is something that we've never had to deal with before but I mean it was overcast the entire time anyways so we we weren't there was no way that uh, observers even if they wanted to do an observation in the freezing cold because we don't have a complete <laughs> control room just yet <laughs> uh, they they would have not been warm right so they probably wouldn't have been able to open the the, the dome um, yeah so that's one of the one of the the new things and uh we we had some uh like equipment racks donated to us by uh one of our friends in, from the community and uh and we Hi Dave. Uh, hi Dave. <laughs> hey Dave. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's Man, really so cool. many shout outs. This is so cool. <laughs> well, you know, and this is the thing with 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 our observatory and our group like it's it's not just one person you know like this is truly like a, a community uh, a community thing and uh and i love it you know it's great having so many so many people uh helping out with different stuff and uh and yeah so we there's a lot of the uh, equipment racks that are just kind of like uh sitting like statues inside the observatory <laughs> just because um since uh since the 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 start of the pandemic we, like we we acquired these just like just before things um were beginning to enter lockdown right and so like we were trying to be very cautious with the amount of people that were gathering and moving these things and so like while we were doing uh moving these things like we we're all in masks and 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 this and they're made from steel. Like these things are heavy duty stuff. And so uh, they've kind Didn't of, just it, been, Oh, it rained it really rain. bad the day that we picked yeah. it up. Yeah. We picked them up. Yeah. You remember. <laughs> We're slipping on the U-Haul and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that was rough. So, <laughs> <laughs> 
I, for the for the record, I was not there, but I saw pictures of it, and I was like, that I could tell. I was like, that looked brutal. Like I could just, I could tell. Yeah. Good job, guys. Yeah, v- job. Victor was there uh, helping move stuff. <laughs> so um, doing the heavy heavy lifting, and this is quite literal. These things are heavy, and so, um, but uh, yeah. So the, they're they're sitting in there uh, as. Uh, but we have plans for them, right? So like one of the things that we're doing is we, we, we plan on setting up um, uh, these equipment racks inside of this control room and uh, to serve uh, as, as, well, one is the control for the observatory itself. Um, but the other thing is also for uh, essentially just like a status of the, the site, Right. So like we want to see uh, because we, we have that farm, right, uh, that telescope farm, which will at some point have the fully uh, nine fully functional uh, like mini observatories. Right. Each uh, each dome with its own telescope and equipment that needs to be maintained. Right. And so uh, that will have some status monitor for that. Also, you know, status monitor for whatever technician uh, would be operating the telescope for that night. Um, we we um we we're moving uh, which is really awesome you know like i know early early on when like we had just had the observatory installed and R- richard and i were, were you know just talking about potential things in the future i said uh, <laughs> let's uh let's automate this thing <laughs> and uh and i remember uh Martin, <laughs> Martin, uh, hey, Martin. <laughs> uh, Dr. Bedoyes, right? So then uh, he, he's like, are you crazy? <laughs> yeah. And I think we were just like, yes. yeah, could be, could be. Yeah, but, but you know who, you know who believed in us? Who? Uh, Mr. Gibson from, uh, from, uh, I was going to say you can, you can't you can't say that without going back and and telling the story of McDonald. Well, that's all him. But I was just going to say like <laughs> he brought he he said that because I remember when he started to think of automation and you should talk about Gaia by the way. Yeah. Um, but uh, when he when we we had this conversation, we kind of put this together. Talked to well, you should tell the story. All right. But um, we're, we we were we were crazy in the right way. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like. Well, the, the thing is, like we we like we're we're still not there yet, right? So, like the 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 humble origins are like we're we're still there. Um, hey, that that kind of brings it back to the very beginning of the episode, right? We're that's that's ambition. It's like, yeah, we're mm-hmm. here, but we're not there yet. <laughs> right, right. It's a it's a it's a it's a journey, and um, you know, there's there's so many parts involved with trying to get like this thing to actually function the way that we want to to and so like the idea was for automation so um so we made a group for (laughs) we made a group for the advancement of uh instrumentation and automation and that's called gaia right so that's (laughs) it's uh, exactly what the group was uh was was meant to do and uh and in this like i've I worked on several projects to to try to you know it's essentially just the upkeep of the things that we have now, but also pushing those things to to you know new uh, limits, right? So um, one of the the things that we like, for example, something that we're lacking as an observatory right now 
uh, even even now, right? So one of the things that we're lacking is like uh, a, a spectrometer, right? We don't have a spectrometer. We don't have a spectrograph that we could use or install onto our machine. So one of the projects was to actually create one. So we have uh, the humble beginnings of one sitting on a table on an optics bench at the at, at the university. And, um, you know, all it is right now is one of the gas lamps from the physics lab. Uh, actually, no, this, this one was ours from the demo equipment that we would use <laughs> for public outreach. We, we have a gas lamp that, uh, you know, you put, you, you have, uh, the, there's these, uh, diffraction gratings. Um, and, but I think also there was, you know, a lot of people aren't aware that they've, they've handled diffraction gratings before. Um, they, uh, they're, um, there's these uh, uh, large events where people would uh, would go, where they were hosting, you know, music of the electronic kind, and they would call these festivals. <laughs> uh, but every once in a while, you would see that there's these people that have the these uh, these uh, glasses, or they would be selling them or giving them. And when you see through them, like you would see these like cool shapes, but with rainbows. You know, so like there'd be stars, but those stars would look like rainbows. And um, those, those, were, those were essentially diffraction gratings, you know, except that they have the shape etched into it. So you would see <laughs> whatever shape was etched into it but as a rainbow. And, um, mm-hmm. and that's essentially, you know, the basic part of what a, what a spectrograph or, you know, the basics of how, how it works. And so we have that set up on the table and we were able to look at that. And uh, I, I, this was something that was, was done, you know, entirely by, by students. So like, uh, um, who was there? It was Brina, Leanne, and uh, Wendy. This is something that they, that they did. Yeah. 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 yeah so, so, hey, everybody. Hi, Brina, Hello. Leanne, and Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask a technical question? Just real sure. quick detail. The, um, mm-hmm. the gas. Are you using a particular gas? To, like, what's the, what's the purpose of having the gas tube? Oh right, so the gas tube. So when you when you apply uh, some like uh, electrical current through that gas tube, it will uh, energize the the gas uh, uh, molecules that are in there. And upon uh, energizing it, the the electrons that sit on the outer shell of that, or at least in the model, right in the outer shell of that, they they jump to a higher level, and uh, then they go to a, a state of relaxation. Uh, it's a spontaneous process where during that. Uh, you have to have some loss of energy in some form. And so when it, the, the uh, electron goes back down to the, the smaller energy level, it shoots out a photon. And uh, that photon is at a very specific uh, uh, frequency. So it's a very specific wavelength of light. And that completely depends on, the, uh, on that energy hop that it did. And that energy hop is very specific to whatever element that is is in there mm-hmm. and so uh so this is essentially how we can fingerprint uh the elements in stars so that's why it's of interest to us because if we can do uh you essentially need one gas tube to be able to calibrate like you know the the positions of each um like the relative positions of each of the bands that gets generated, right? Because it's, since it's a very specific wavelength of, of light, um, or it's a, a specific group of wavelengths of light, um, you can measure that relative distance from one to another. So then if you pop in any other 
uh, uh, gas tubes or combination of gases, um, you would be able to pick out what combination those are. And, um, and that's essentially what we want to include onto the mm-hmm. telescope. That way we can do this kind of identification, this fingerprinting of, of elements in other stars. And which gas in particular are you using as a calibrating source in this? Uh, so I'm trying to remember. Actually, I don't remember. I think it was part. either hydrogen or helium. Yeah, I no. think it was helium. I think we were using it, helium. Yeah. And why that one? Because we had it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, we, we were doing that one because we had it. And I, I, I don't remember, you know, I, I really don't, I really hope that we didn't have like an easier one to use. Like, I don't, I don't know if you guys heard the story of, uh, of the, the person who like made the first uh, um, uh, ruby red laser that uh at least the story the way i've heard it was that uh, and this is something like back in like 1970 right so like right in the the beginning of that there was a paper written uh much earlier than that uh that says that uh, right 64 that that lasers should work mm-hmm. uh at least in in principle in uh, in oh. theory but um i should correct i'm sorry i thought you were going to say something else no that's way earlier than 64 oh okay no well um what 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 are you what are you, what are you thinking of the the first development of a ruby laser in in experimental testing like an actual oh oh yeah 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 one. yeah exactly yes yes so not not just the paper showing that but uh but actual an actual ruby red laser okay. they <laughs> apparently the way that they chose to do it, like the particular mode was probably the most difficult to actually produce <laughs> so, because it was so per, like the, the tuning of everything had to be so precise for it to work. And the incredible part was that they're actually successful in, in doing it. And so like this was phenomenal for everyone in yeah. modern day. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can, you can generate lasers a lot of ways, but speaking of helium, you, you might've heard of Heaney lasers. Um, <laughs> so like that's a mixture of helium and neon gas and you excite them. And uh, that's, that's one of the sources of the laser emission. Um, I actually thought of a scientific application for using helium as a source. Hopefully it is helium uh, because then you can then test it on the sun the spectrograph on the sun, perhaps like even coronal, like you can get a mm. coronal imaging with the mm. telescope and see if it's close, like as a astrophysical uh, calibration source. Ah, so that's cool. You try that, but um, I, Moises and I have tried to image the sun before, and <laughs> don't you point the, the right telescope. Equipment. Yeah, yeah, you need the right <laughs> equipment. I mean, we didn't do anything necessarily destructive, but uh, it's it's difficult to look at the sun with a telescope. Yeah, we just just so everyone is aware, right? So like, what we did was <laughs> we had a filter for the for our telescope. Yes, but do not point your telescope at the sun. Period. That's just like that. Just let's start at that level right there. Yeah, they 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 also have stickers on the telescope that say That's "Do right. not point directly at That's the right. sun." <laughs> uh, Even through like uh, with the with the Dobsonian, I have like you point it at the moon. And the amount of sunlight that it reflects, that hurts your eyes. You stare at that for yeah. a few seconds and your eyes will hurt. Like, I can't even imagine mm-hmm. what instant blindness <laughs> looking at the sun. It would be. Yeah. It would also destroy the telescope. Because mm-hmm. you imagine yeah. the telescope's like building coherent light. So that would just self-reinforce and it would just warp and destroy the mirror. Uh, I, I don't want to imagine that. But frankly, that's... 
So. Yeah, it's like if if uh, that that the magnifying glass, you know, <laughs> there's some people that, that like to test it on themselves, right? <laughs> if you can burn paper, right, it, it'll it, it can most likely burn your equipment. <laughs> the closest I felt to that was like by bumping a uh, an infrared laser. Uh, there was an infrared laser, it's, uh, something like. Uh, I think 800 nanometers or something. Um, so you couldn't see it. Slightly out of uh, the range yeah. that we can see. And like we were supposed to pass it through um, a crystal that dropped the frequency by half. So what would happen is it would go in invisible and it would come out blue and you could wow. see it. That's and so, cool. but like if you put a, a like a, a cart, like a paper piece of paper or something in the invisible beam, suddenly it would just it like almost just like, poof, light on fire and there would be wow. a hole. there would be like a hole in the paper. so <laughs> yeah that's a that's a powerful laser you were there we're, yeah that was a it was a five watt emission from the primary source but it could go up to 10 watts that was with wow. um I, I believe okay this has been years but dr lytle and dr gagnon from franklin and marshall college their optics lab which was my first experimental physics research experience uh that's so le- cool learned a lot about lasers with them and yeah anyway Fun fact that blew my mind when I first really learned about lasers. <laughs> now, it wasn't until a couple of years ago that, it, that I learned that laser, because, I mean, we were talking about acronyms before, too, and laser itself is an acronym, and I thought that was the coolest thing. What is it? Let me see if I get it right or wrong. But light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. That's yeah, correct. laser. That, that's it. Yeah. So, and the predecessor of the laser is the maser. You've heard of the maser, right? No. It's microwave amplification ah. for stimulating emission. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fun facts. I, I think laser is just like the coolest sounding word that came from also a pretty cool acronym. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just and kind of set of the stage. Like, it was a really, you know, it is a highly technical word that came from within physics. And it's one of the few that like, I think impacted general like just uh vernacular right like people say laser all the time but it it is actually a very like technical physical event that occurs it's a um it's not very well understood you need to know stuff about like quantum mechanics to really understand it but it's used in everyday language like the laser and everybody knows what it means like pew pew right like <laughs> what i picture is like the cat the <laughs> with the the laser on the wall and the cat like Oh yeah! Oh no! <laughs> the the unobtainable prey. Yeah. Yeah. When you think of laser boys, that's what do you think of first? Like, what's your first thought? Laser. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's what <laughs> we're going to build a laser <laughs> on the moon. <laughs> okay. That's. I watched a lot of TV. All right. So. <laughs> That's good. That is good cinema, cin- cinematography. Uh. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> so you mentioned Gaia. Um, maybe we should, this would be like the first public discussion of our Greek nomenclature. What else do we have that's Greek at, at CTMO right so, now? So uh, other, other things are, that are Greek at CTMO, uh, specifically at CTMO. Uh, Associated <laughs> with. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so we do have um, 
let's see let me think so we zeus. have our well well zeus is is a is a project right so zeus mm-hmm. zeus is a project that uh is uh is one that richard was was working on so i, I don't know i don't know how it is still, still m um we could talk about that later after your stuff, but uh, I do have updates on that. Oh, nice. I'm yeah. excited to hear about yeah. this. I've been working off the grid on that one. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's Zeus. Uh, we have our, our machines. That, so uh, in the observatory, we have a computer that uh, that's essentially the thing that holds everything up. And so the, that holds all the, the equipment. Um, yes. So we have we have Atlas. And Atlas is essentially the the thing that's uh, the essentially the workhorse of the <laughs> of of everything there at the at the dome. Um, there is uh, also um, we have our uh, machine that's uh, dedicated. Uh, the idea is to to have this as our dedicated uh, like processing unit, which is uh, um, Epimetheus, and so. Uh, it's it's a beast. <laughs> that one oh that God. one is awesome. Yeah. It's del- it's delicious to be honest. It's just too good. <laughs> yeah. And I mean and, like uh, ladies and gentlemen it has like 64 gigs of RAM and an RTX 2080 Ti GPU with linear algebra acceleration. Yeah, and um and it's great for processing images. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for this absolutely. Reason. Yeah. Uh, I did my thesis on uh, do it's essentially it leaned on being able to do a lot of image processing because I was doing um, uh, light curve, you know, analysis. Um, actually, it was the entire the entire process to to get to be able to do light <laughs> light curve analysis. So I took the data. Right. So, and the data I was collecting was on uh, specifically eclipsing binary stars of the, uh, and this is the way I pronounce it and in my head. And so I know when I also gave my, my talk from, from my thesis, uh, defense, I, I, I also said this too, but I call them the W UMA type <laughs> and, uh, the W UMA type, uh, are the W Ursa, um, major type. So we, we're talking about uh, close contact to binary stars. So like they, they have, uh, they might be close enough even that they're sharing uh, material and, uh, um, and they're, they're spinning around each other. So you can see uh, at least through light curves, you can see like if both of them are shining their light at you or if only one of them. So like you, you'll get, you know, less light intensity when one is being blocked and you'll get more light when both are visible and you can track this, this, uh, this pattern, right. This dance or ballet of giants. Could you, could you uh, define a light curve just for those who might not know what that is? Like what, what oh, is a light curve? Yeah. So, um, so in, in this process of collecting data, so usually we'll look at some object in the sky, right? And we'll take an, we'll take an image, right? Our data that we do at the observatory is specifically um, like image data because we do observational astronomy. And the, um, when we take the picture, it's at one particular time. When we take another picture of the same place, it's at another time and another time and another time. 
in my case, that time was, you know, about seven hours. So <laughs> 30, uh, 30 second images for seven hours. That was essentially my work day. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so I, I look at one, uh, I look at one star and see uh, how much light was coming from that. And so then I can get some light intensity for that one time. Then I look at the light intensity of that same object at another time. And I do that and I repeat that process. So then I end up uh, seeing how the light intensity changes over time. And so that itself is the light curve. That's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Um, and, and so you're looking at, uh, uh, in your research and what you used on Epibetheus, light curves of eclipsing binaries, specifically UMA types, W, w UMA types? Yeah, w, w UMA types. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's a reason for that. You know how I said that they're uh, like so close together, they're like some of them even share material. Well, with that, something that also happens is that they, they rotate <laughs> faster. So <laughs> their periods are much shorter, which means right. that in one night, I could actually complete one of their periods. So I don't have to, you know, um, I, I wouldn't have to go, uh, you know, night after night to be able to complete one period because um, in in if you if you study eclipsing uh, binary stars, um, you'll see that there's actually some periods that extend beyond days, right? Beyond years. Uh, I think I I, I, I most uh, it is said that probably half of the stars that we see up in the in the night sky with, with our own eyes have a companion. And um, the companion may or may not be gravitationally locked, right, with the, with the other one. So, like, th there are some that are um, binary stars, but one is, like, in the foreground and the other one's in the background, right? So, like, they're not actually, like, going around each other. It's just, it looks that way. It's a visual binary. It's a visual binary, exactly. Yeah. And there are others that are actually, you know, in doing this gravitational dance around each other. Um and so that my main motivation was because of that, uh, just because the period is so short. Uh, there, there is a star that is said to be a binary star, but like they, uh, an eclipsing binary star. But we're talking about like on the order of like 200 years for a period. So that means like that light curve, if I take a picture today and I take a picture tomorrow, it's going to seem like it didn't change at all. So <laughs> yeah, um, even like, I, I mean... I'm curious if there's anyone, well, I mean, ultimately everyone in astronomy, right, who is probably, would be able to do this, but I don't think there's a dedicated project for this where uh, it crosses multiple generations of taking a data for one particular star to see if it's a... <laughs> right, I mean, I think maybe like Vera Rubin or like um, one of those large scale surveys will, I mean, cause will. what that's just those statistically improbable events. It, it becomes a question of statistics at that point, just touch right. a large enough area of the sky. Yeah. 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 That, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's exactly, that's exactly it. I mean, we just need more eyes in the sky to be able to see these things. And usually observatories uh, have, uh, have projects, right? That the, the people have projects that they want to use an observatory for, which means that people have to sign up for that time, which means that the observatory um, gets used up 
differently. So there's, it's never just like, let's look at this one thing, you know, across, you know, all of humankind's existence. And uh, I don't, I don't know actually if there's any like multi-generational project like that, that'd be at least in astronomy, that'd be interesting to, to, to know. Yeah. Maybe aside from like your surveys, um, mm-hmm. yeah. but I'm imagining like when, cause I was doing observations with Arecibo as well at one point and you would look at the observer schedule and your slot was like 3.30 to 5.30 a.m. for this Pulsar survey. And, oh, there's four hours of maintenance. And then this this grant is being applied here. And this person is working here. And it's just full. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the big observatories are prime real estate. It's very right. hard to get that stuff. Yeah. So uh, if uh, anyone's, uh, you know, in school now, you know, and uh, wanting to become a professional astronomer, one of the things that you need to uh, practice, something that I, I haven't actually done myself is a proposal writing for telescope time that uh, like professional astronomers need to need to like it's a, it's part of part of right. their and, and, bread and butter. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting excited. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Mean I thought you were going to say sharing. One of the things you need to practice as an astronomer is sharing. Actually, well, that's true. I mean, you'll get like for some of the big, some of the big ones, you'll get a few hours of observing time in the year. Um, you might get like two nights at McDonald if you get like something on the auto struve, a couple of nights maybe. But um, then there's also, and this is something I wanted to also talk about too, is the time domain stuff. Cause like every observatory mm-hmm. has a project. So CTMO uh, is teaching people and it's primarily functioning in time domain, training in time domain. Um, you might have astronomers who are looking at um, objects that or events that occur that could be really worth your time to spend time on. And so they might get dedicated target of opportunity time. So like if a, a gamma ray burst happens, I could trigger some of that time. I get 45 minutes on that scope. And then just like, it's almost like I have a, a, an amount that I could spend over the whole year or over the whole grant term, basically. Um, mm-hmm. So, but yeah, definitely getting to know that process is important. Yeah. 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 And, uh, it seems like we, we might be heading towards that direction. Right. So, um, but at the moment it still seems pretty, pretty open. So the students get to pick their own times, uh, and, um, but we, but uh, as Victor said, we do, we do share. It has happened where we say like, Hey, uh, because we the the goal is for the observatory to be functioning every possible moment that it could be functioning like that's the goal for the observatory um and uh like let's say i'm no longer in the regular observer schedule as i used to be but like for example like maybe maybe victor's doing an observation right so then like i i can be like hey victor can you get me uh you know i, I want i want to see this and uh he'll be like hmm let me check my let me check my busy schedule here of this uh, science <laughs> i want to perform and uh he'll be like all right sure i can squeeze you in yeah 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 I- I think like, wouldn't it be a pretty cool, like a citizen science thing? I like, I didn't know that, that there were, that it was such a competitive market for, um, to, to write proposals for that. Wouldn't it be so cool to do that? Like in Brownsville, like have yeah. high school kids or something, write their own proposals about um, why they should get time at CTMO and then let them go do it. CTMO and SLO too. You could have yeah. two. I mean, um, 
the one that I draw inspiration from, at least for remote access, is uh, the Burke Gaffney Observatory in Nova Scotia, which I've used. I've triggered a few times, and it's like a Twitter, or uh, I think you could send it now a Facebook message, a text, and I send it by email. But you could send like a twi Twitter and like the hashtag access a command. So it'll be like hashtag exposure time or like hashtag this object. And it'll put you into a queue and then it'll say, oh, here's a link to your image and you could download the fits image of that in different filters. Um, it might not be immediate, but um, it's pretty cool that you could trigger these things from the distance and, and have it seamless, seamless data transaction. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure that's that's very similar. I mean, I've seen you're using, what what's the program that you're using for, um, for remote access in the uh, in, in the telescope, uh, the mini domes for for the high school students. So so for the mini domes, we're using one that's uh, it's open source. Uh, it's called uh, K Stars. K Stars oh, okay. is is the name of that one. Yeah, and um, it's uh, it's really nice. Like it in terms of its functionality, like the ease of use, I think is 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 pretty accessible for 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 people. And this is what we what we use in the astronomy labs themselves. So. Um, it lends itself nicely because um, like this, this project is a community driven project um, by a community. I mean like the greater astronomy uh, or amateur astronomer community. And right. um, they, uh, they use, um, they use a, 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 a library that's, uh, that's called Indie. And uh, it has a particular like that's an acronym too. I, I don't I don't remember exactly what <laughs> it's uh, something about like independent uh, something <laughs> devices. And so they're, yeah. they're trying to fill in the blanks. So exactly what what they said. It's actually funny because so so far it does seem like every time they bark, <laughs> they are like filling in gaps that we're not filling in. Kind yeah. of the D stands for dog. <laughs> the D stands for dog, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so with Indie, it's really nice because um, like using a Raspberry Pi, then I'm able to download drivers and install them into my uh, in, into the Pi, mm -hmm. and um, the uh, the device I just plug it into like the the telescope and the and the dome itself. Um, the mini dome I plug it into the Raspberry Pi, and now I have control over the 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 entire set itself, right? The dome and the telescope through the Raspberry Pi. The Raspberry Pi is essentially like a cheap $35 computer mm -hmm. that uh, has, uh, has Wi-Fi and internet capabilities. So I'm able to communicate either directly to the device or I can plug it in and communicate over the internet mm -hmm. to, this, to, this, uh, to this thing. And so, and that's, that's the goal for us. And with K-Stars, what's nice about it is that you don't need to know how to use, uh, like, you don't need a virtual um, desktop to use mm -hmm. uh, the, those devices. If the drivers are running and the devices are plugged into the Raspberry Pi, um, I just tell K-Stars the IP address and the port number um, inside a, 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 the inside of K-Stars, they have this thing called Ecos, and it's like Ecos, like, uh, like, like ecosystem right but they use a k so they say ecos and they're inside of ecos it handles all that protocol for communications with these devices so i download k stars on my computer i open up ecos and then from there i just tell it the ip address the port number and i say connect and it just happens it works straight off of my computer there's nothing else that's needed that's amazing and and um 
is it is this parallel or, or i mean is this distinct from ascom standard like is this a different platform and it's using or you know that and path of course because yeah I, so, I can't go without saying path. <laughs> I mean, come path. On. so you know this is uh these path jokes uh, <laughs> will make it impossible for us to go into the future <laughs> There's a, there's a, remember the sign path coming southbound uh, on I-69 coming back oh, into the valley. Oh, that's right. So if you've ever done that drive from, from San Antonio uh, down to, to, to the valley, you'll, just leaving San Antonio, there's a sign there that says path. And we, we I mean, we went through multiple times, you know, driving like for different conferences and stuff. And we always saw that sign. We're like, ah, path. <laughs> yeah. But um, PATH stands for Plain Old Telescope Handset. And so the, the idea with PATH was that it's a, like a virtualized controller for your telescope. This will date us. So people will actually know like, oh, this guy's, a, this guy's an old timer because they got oh, rid boy. of PATH. Oh, yeah, yeah, they did. Because yeah. that, that's, that's no longer up to, up to standard or anything. No. So ASCOM is um, the astronomy standard for co- like using COM ports. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's not exact. Like, I don't remember the exact name, same way like with Indy, right? Yeah. But it's, it, it's, if I remember correctly, it's something like that. It's just, uh, the astronomy standard for COM. And COM is the, the uh, communication protocol that's used on Windows machines. So, mm-hmm. um, I I I I dug in deep, and so this is one of the things I've been I've been working on most recently, which is using ASCOM. I dug in pretty deep, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I learned a lot about ASCOM and, and how how it works. Um, and so with ASCOM, it's really neat. At least the concept of it's really neat because now. Um, they, there's a there's a thing called device hub. So ASCOM device hub, uh, it allows you to plug in um, your devices to communicate to device hub, and then device hub can then send send the signals of all your devices to multiple programs at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it's Windows only. That's uh, that's the only thing. Um, the people at ASCOM have um like it is is there's a small team uh, i think it's three people um they've worked on uh on this new uh uh standard which is called the alpaca like so there's ascom alpaca and with ascom alpaca it uses uh like um the same type of communications that you would do over the internet so this net communication you're able to communicate with devices just based off of like IP and port numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you can send commands directly to the device. But um, ASCOM didn't exist. Uh, I, I don't think it existed before 2000. So yeah, no, in, terms of, in terms of time and in terms of like uh, uh, things like standards that exist, it's not, it's not that old. And so... That, that makes a lot of sense too, just for a historical standpoint, because like the early two thousands when was when um, your go to mounts and your CCD cameras started to reduce in price and come onto the regular consumer market. Um, hmm. So I think that standard is that's not random that it was adopted at that time around that time. I think. 
Yeah, and luckily the 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 guy who who like thought this up was like, this is a problem because right now the only way that we would be able to like function for to do astronomy would be uh, as uh, at the consumer level, right? So not for research. So just like people or everyday people, the way that they would have to do it is like they would be dependent on a company mm-hmm. to make the device and to make the software that controls the device. Mm-hmm. And um, like, for example, we use uh, uh, like Maxim, Maxim DL, which is a, a popular uh, like observatory control and like image acquisition sub- uh, software or package. Um, that actually doesn't like you, you, you're not restricted on which uh, cameras you can use because they the they have different drivers that will communicate to to uh, maxim directly right and so usually we don't think about these kinds of things right like i plug in my microphone and it works oh that's it i'm done but um but here like if you have different people making this stuff particular astronomy which is a bit of a like a more of a niche market right if there aren't that many people getting the stuff, then, you know, maybe there won't be th- that much need for these kinds of stuff. But since this guy um, uh, started, you know, he's like, this is an issue. He's a programmer too. He's like, let's make these standards now. And so like they, they use this protocol and like they, there was a lot of back and forth between the community and manufacturers and uh, amateur astronomers uh, casual astronomers just trying to do this at their own homes, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of back and forth on how to do it. And they got finally, like after 10 years, like it got set. Mm-hmm. ASCOM got set as the standard for for uh, for all of this. And so um, I think, um, I, I should say like it got, it, uh, after, after this, after that time, um, s- similar thing happened with Alpaca right so like there's other people like for for example myself i'm i'm running this these programs right now off off of a, a mac computer right and uh, there are other people uh, that are uh, like linux users and um ascom is specifically for windows and so people are saying when are you going to linux when are you going to mac and this is where alpaca came so before the market was very heavy uh, like windows but more recently there's been more of a transition where more, more people are, are are having uh either max or, or exploring linux you know and uh and then there's people like us that are in between the worlds of research and uh and amateur astronomy right where we do this uh because it's like we we, we want to study it but we also like to look at pretty things <laughs> try to strike a nice balance between the two usually. yeah and uh and yeah i'm like it'd be cool if i can use my mac to control it rather than having to use another computer to do this and um yeah so i learned i learned a lot about ASCOM more recently and that's the one of my latest projects that i'm that i'm currently working on right now so ASCOM is a closed source right it's not open source uh, ASC- or so ASCOM is a standard so uh oh it's not it's not a code like a set of code okay. no and See, this this is you're more this is more into your area than than than, than me at this point yeah so it's uh it's uh how, how, can I, how can we call it it's a shared library 
it's a shared library of 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 things right so in in this library they have uh sets of classes and so for different types of devices so like you have things uh like if you want to communicate with uh with a camera they they have a camera class and so uh if i want to communicate using ascom uh protocols um they already have all those functions written for the camera so uh as a developer one would have to just make sure that their that the like a manufacturer would have to make sure that their device has uh like they match up with the existing functions in that library mm-hmm. so and that's uh, that's essentially like the biggest uh um hurdle right that if if you because you could make your own device right so like you can make your own dome controller you can make your own go-to mount controller and uh uh, but the thing is you would have to figure out the like you have to establish your own protocol of how your device wants to receive communication and uh you you tie it into um the the ascom communication i see yeah, it's, so there's like a market pressure essentially to adopt that because if you want it to be sold on the general market, people are mainly using ASCOM standard. So right. So and and oh, actually, I think it makes you more marketable, right? So like if if you write a program uh, that like like check this out, I have this astronomy software that you can use. It looks really nice. It's really simple to use. Uh, so you can get these awesome images of like uh, distant galaxies um, uh, or, or, you know, we call them deep sky objects, right? <laughs> the, um, the, it would be nice, right? If you just plug it in and things worked as a user, right? And uh, without having to do like a lot of fancy stuff and, um, and ASCOM allows people to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, for something for a, um, let's say for a device to say it speaks ASCOM and for a program to say it speaks ASCOM, that means it could be whatever device, right? And whatever program, it doesn't have, you're like, you're not just locked into using, you know, um, you know, a specific program for a specific device. You can use any device for any program. Kind of like Bluetooth connection even or anything that has a standard connection protocol. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So like it doesn't matter what phone I'm using. If I'm using Bluetooth, I can connect to whichever speaker that also has Bluetooth. That's a really good example. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, for the I'm, I'm trying to flesh this out for a lot of people who might either be interested in getting into amateur astronomy and the, the, the number one question that, at least I'm always asked is, uh, well, what telescope should I be my first telescope? But if you're interested in uh, astrophotography, then you're going to need to get used to this at a basic level because of the imaging and also the, uh, the tracking of the mount itself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> um, uh, I have a question for you. It's kind of out there though. Okay. Can stars change colors? Can stars change colors? Like a single star, could like a one star, which is like one color, change its color? Yes. That's that's essentially, that is the, the, that is the way, essentially, that we age stars. Like, that's how we tell the the age of a star, by, by that. So that means, like, the, in order to figure out its age or, like, its, its type, um, 
the we are able to label it based off of the the color i mean color itself it depends on on the wavelength of light that we're that we're seeing and when you look at the the like the entire spectrum of that star um it's not just a straight line like it's not just like full blast boom uh like it's all these uh it, it's a combination of different wavelengths of light it's not just like one specific wavelength mm-hmm. and so um what's interesting to see about that though is that it's um the curve follows a particular path and um for for those who who study physics you you most likely heard of black body radiation and the the the, the light curve uh, i mean like the specifically the how the spectrum is in terms of intensity of that star will follow that same kind of path that the black body does and so um and it's 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 an interesting concept because like internally you have this energy right that's that's trapped inside the star and it leaks this uh this energy in 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 the form of light where we can see it and depending where that peak of intensity lies its wavelength we can determine then uh what the the temperature is based off of that then we we uh usually what we'll do is we'll put them into what we'll classify it right um we use what's called the the spectral classification and uh from from that we're able to see where with uh relation to other stars that star is and um we have this general idea of how stars evolve and um, and it, it just so happens that it follows this trend that completely depends on the color. Yeah. And that's interesting too, because like you can um, astronomers can then define things such as uh, metallicity uh, from the color change as well. I mean, that's how you age. You, you mentioned age of star. It's how you age galaxies and the evolution of gas. So anything, basically all evolution that we understand at least outside of cosmological, you know, th- theoretical stuff is um, aging things based on color change, ultimately, um, at least mm-hmm. from an observational standpoint in the optical, in the optical uh, wavelengths. Um, and astronomers define a physical parameter. It's a ratio of amounts of stuff, and that's called your metallicity. So the amount of iron specifically to hydrogen is this uh, metallicity ratio and that number and how it changes with time is how you age things and how you can tell how galaxies and stars and different things like that um, change with time and evolve so i'm glad you said that about age that's really important yeah so the naturally the next question that people would be curious about is where where does our star fall in relation to other stars and age and color and yeah the uh um what's interesting too is that in general uh depending where it lies in in this is also also the size so that like this is there's this funny relation between the 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 spectral the spectral class and and the uh and the size of of these stars and so um so if you're in the astronomy labs you'll know that <laughs> the the sun is a g2 uh type star right so the i think it's so funny like the just history of astronomy we keep all the old stuff it's one of the oldest sciences right um uh, 
one of the oldest sciences that exist, like, and, and, and documented sciences, right? So like, we're talking about like way before BC, right? So like BC, BC. And so um, there, there's uh, ancient texts that, that have these relations about stuff. And even the so, dinosaurs had astronomy. Like. I mean, well, I mean, they looked up <laughs> at one point, oh man, that's a mean joke. <laughs> <laughs> they looked up. They looked up at one point at the last point. In the last point, yeah. And uh, but like the the um, the the there are things that like get set back in the back in the days, and they just keep going uh, even in modern days. And what I think is really funny, and it speaks to across all the disciplines of science is that because somebody said this one thing a long time ago they keep the way that they said it back then even though it might not completely make sense today and so like this old notation or nomenclature or like in this case the spectral uh the spectral types they use a a letter format that isn't in alphabetical order (laughs) so if you want to know what order it should be then uh i myself look up a chart so <laughs> i don't know yeah off the top of my head i know it's like o b uh afg KM. yeah and so um and i and this is this is another thing for the students that are in the in the intro to astronomy i don't i don't make them memorize it just because i could look it up in a chart right so that's not, i don't think i don't find Myself, I mean, I could be schooled at some point and told uh, another reason otherwise for them to have to learn that particular, you know, that that particular order means these things. But I mean, if they can read it off the chart and understand what it means, then 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 that that is better success uh, in terms of the learning process, in my view. But um, but yeah, we're, we're a G2. And if you label the G2 star, we sit right in the middle of the uh the um the uh oh man the word is slipping my mind the <laughs> life cycle main sequence oh. yeah yeah no no the main sequence yeah so like, that's the main sequence on the hertzsprung russell diagram oh, that's right <laughs> the uh the the main sequence so we are a main sequence star where most stars live most of their lives and like we're still like in the early to middle stages of the the life of our star so like in the evolution process our star will uh start becoming larger right and become redder right so going back to the thing of uh <laughs> your your question of do redder <laughs> oh my it's not shy it's not shy <laughs> um yeah so in in that process um it, it start it'll start becoming a, a red giant right so um we'll be inside it right i think um yeah or at least we'll be very close to the photosphere which is the surface of the sun right so yeah. for, again I'm, I'm i'm talking to i'm talking to a big audience um the, the one thing i wanted to add was about variable stars i saw an interesting fact the other day i didn't realize it that the sun is technically considered a variable star it varies in brightness by 0.1 percent over its 10-year solar cycle Hmm. Um, which is interesting. So like even the sun, which is considered a well-behaved star, which we don't really know, historically speaking, we just know Mm -hmm. for somewhat of its lifetime, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it could very well change in variability more, but it is a variable star. So like, as you were saying to, uh, uh, to your point earlier about most stars being eclipsing binaries or 
or binary systems or variable stars in general, the sun is no, does have variation over time. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I know some stars, though, they get bigger and smaller, like noticeably, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so they, 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 they pulsate. And through that pulsation process, their, their light intensity is like whoa, bright and then dims and bright and dim. Yeah. Parties on that planet must be awesome. <laughs> like, <let's... laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> What's the one? Uh, has anybody ever read the one Hitchhiker's Guide where there's the, the, the loudest band in existence where when they play a concert? They're on the, the surface of the planet, but everybody has to be in space to listen to it. Nobody, you can't Whoa. be, you can't be on the planet at the same time when they That's play because it'll kill everything on the surface. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Shout but, out uh, to Douglas Adams. Yeah, sorry. Uh, that's yeah. So stars can change colors for a variety of reasons. <laughs> yeah, and so and yeah. That's uh, yeah, and that's essentially where we're at in terms of our of our star, right? Our sun. Yeah. What was the most interesting thing you learned about stars that made you fascinated by them? The most. Or was there was there a specific? I guess. Sorry, I'll let me add a little bit more to that question. Like you, you started off talking about your curiosity and and how you just wanted to learn how how things worked. Was there anything? from that that led so that's what led you go into physics and then from that was there anything else that about stars specifically that led you to doing your research based around variable stars that so so the the funny thing here is that it was more of a um like historically because of a practical thing so like because the opportunity to do that specifically became present that is what i did so um, the it, it's not that I, I had uh, like envisioned that I would have studied something else in astronomy. Like I myself actually didn't think I would be studying astronomy. So that that is that is like one of the truths of of me and where I'm at now, which I find very surprising. You know, like um, what year are we in? We're twenty twenty one. So ask me in twenty eleven. So ten years ago. Uh, if I would be doing astronomy, I didn't think I would be doing astronomy the way that I'm doing astronomy today. Like that is, that is true. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, w- I was thinking, and at the time I was working on, on that project, uh, that was more like, is a, a mix between uh, material science and, uh, and essentially just like engineering and design. Um, I, uh, I was looking uh, specifically at trying to uh, see how um, how the substrate of um, of the welding that they do for um, the the test mass mirrors that they use in LIGO. So they have like these huge uh, like glass mirrors, and um, they use those as as uh, uh, to shoot a laser right from from one end of the lab down this four kilometer tube vacuum tube that hits this mirror uh that's probably i don't know it, it actually it's kind of big uh, <laughs> it weighs a lot <laughs> it's uh if i remember correctly what was it like 80 kilograms it's right? 20 but at full it'll be 40 they're going to upgrade to 40 oh. kilogram test masses 
Oh, okay, okay. So I, 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 I don't. So, I, think. I, I, I don't. I don't remember. I, that's that's one thing to be said. I don't. I, I don't remember. Uh, and also, I'm not that very close to the project. Just a little bit. Don't and, add us, uh, Ligo. Oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll I'll make sure I learn more and uh, and I'll share that with the public, right? Um, in terms of the the te- technical aspects, but in, in 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 like in its simplest form, right? They shoot this laser down to, and it's actually two two uh two tubes. There we go, <laughs> uh, two tubes at four kilometers each, and um and there's a a a glass that they reflect the the light from, and um the 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 way that they try to eliminate any potential noise or vibration that could be coming through that glass is that they actually hang it off of another identical piece right above it <laughs> and above that one they have another another platform that will actually shift uh um uh, to compensate for any uh any movement of the ground any mechanical movement and um Meanwhile, the, the, the second mirror will, will act as uh, they, they have um, like the, um, it's an electrostatic drive that will nudge it ever so slightly to remove any resonance uh, traveling forward on that bottom piece. Now, those two, uh, those two pieces of glass that are hanging one above another are, uh, are, are mechanically uh, or like physically attached. And the way that they're attached is through like all of this is all silica like it's all fused silica and so it's it's literally just glass welded glass with these uh two two threads at, at their thickest point i believe that uh um or at their thinnest point i think i believe there's something like two two millimeters and so there's two two millimeter threads on on both sides um, that are holding on to this like really uh, heavy object, and um, I my original project was to see how how um, right because when we have this thing that's stuck to the side that's holding on to the to the threads, um, to see how that shifts in time if it does shift right. There's a lot of since it's carrying so much mass, it's thought that it should shift somewhat and we're curious to see how it would how that shift happens across time but um but yeah that was a completely different project right like it contributes to astronomy but not in a direct way you know yeah that's like that's even more like engineering um specifically for those interested in that that's like feedback systems and uh actuators and um, which is very difficult stuff to to do. Um, mm-hmm. I remember seeing a lecture before on how like that feedback system, just like the basics of a feedback system. And it's um, apparently with like a lot of mechanical systems, it could be quite catastrophic if you don't get that right, because you're trying to suppress resonance, right? Like mm-hmm. when a buildup of something, um, I'm thinking of like the right tempo of walking across a bridge could destabilize it. So um, having something that, removes resonance or, or, or essentially dampens resonance could work if it works wrong, very catastrophically. Um, so yeah, and there, there's like multiple mirror or multiple test masses hanging off of each other. And the top one might vibrate by, by the time it gets to the bottom, that dampening effect takes hold. So it's, it's really fascinating mm-hmm. how simple but effective that principle is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so that's, probably the main thing you know just uh, you know, from a practical standpoint that like 
that I, my project, uh, like my, uh, well, that my advisor, right, said like, I need help on this project. So immediately my project shifted from more on the engineering side to, you know, observational astronomy. And then from there, um, the variable stars I thought was pretty cool because like over the course of a night, I can see that change happening. And from that, I could, from that information, I can pick out some information like how big these stars actually are, like the actual physical diameter of these uh, stars. Um, you could also see um, the, uh, you can guess their masses just depending on the rate at which they're, they're, they're actually um, going around each other. And um uh, and with our current technology that we have at the observatory, it's very limited the things that we can do. And that's the, the, essentially the, the biggest push and the reason why we need that, that spectrometer. <laughs> because uh, you need to see how, how the colors change. Because they actually just, the fact that they're going, they're moving away from you, will change the color of the star. So that's another way. It's not that the star itself is changing colors, but the fact that they're moving away, um, you'll see that shift in color. You'll also see if you're looking at objects that are cosmological distances like quasars. So you can get um, the quasar emits light and so, depending on its angle, it could be absorbing some of that light. So you see absorption features in that spectrum and you could tell like, oh, that cloud is made of this. But since it's at cosmological distances and it's moving away from us, there's actually, there's two terms. There's a redshift term from its proper motion and then space time, which is expanding, also induces a redshift effect. So when you're looking at really far away objects, they're moving away from us for two reasons. Um, they could be, <laughs> right? The proper motion could be moving away and space is also, right? So, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I, what is space? <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because I was literally going to ask you that. I was going to say, Moises, because I know that was, you told me this before, I believe was uh, space. Like what is space has been a very curious question question to you right like yeah people ask what is time but you're like no 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 what is space so this is yeah go ahead just no this i mean this is just something that that like that that i that bothers me so much like like okay i talk about my like being curious about stuff but but this this is a this is a bother like i don't know like it's it's a like a like a weird feeling like people think about time and then you know like and they're like, what is time? Like, are we even here now? Or were, are we just echoes of what happened before? And like now our consciousness is catching up to that thing that happened. Okay. That, this is completely like... Never heard that, but okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'll entertain those ideas. But my, my question is, uh, what is space? <laughs> like i don't understand like i don't even know how to start even uh like chipping away at it you know like right like there's there's i don't know um i don't know enough to be able to 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 have these concepts and like like i don't, I don't know like i don't know <laughs> right i mean even with um remember the last time victor we were talking about um how when like a gravitational wave occurs that's like Okay, so like space, we know that there's geometry attributed to space, whatever that means. Like, yeah. And that geometry can change 
So like a gravitational wave is some periodic change of the geometry. But then if you want to measure that and you put a ruler there, the ruler will also change in size. So yeah. like even to measure like distance is not a trivial concept because what are we talking about by distance? Are we talking about coordinate points or are we talking about actual physical separation? Right. Because like with the gravitational wave that could cause me to get closer to you temporarily in one sense, like Moises could watch it happen. But if I were to put a ruler between you and me, when that gravitational wave passes, the distance between us has not changed because the ruler has gotten smaller. The coordinate system is still the same coordinate system. So that's why space, yeah, space is very interesting because how do you even measure it? What are you even talking about, right? Yeah, like, I don't, I don't know. You know, like, I, I, was, uh, I was very fortunate that I was able to take a class, right, in general relativity, and it highlighted their, the, like, I didn't know uh, what the, like, what the meaningful impact was of like the, the fundamental equation that that is uh the, like the einstein you know wrote in, in t- when talking about general relativity like I, I i was like okay there's an equation that exists he did some stuff and so what and um oh, but really i mean yeah like i don't i don't know what is what is the the meaningfulness of it like sure okay um it, we were able to see that that like light can actually bend because of masses. Like okay, yeah, like that's that's weird. But um, why it, why is it meaningful? And this is this is like the the I, like the importance of understanding just the the theory, and you know just putting it out there too. Like when we're talking about theory, we're talking about this uh, framework, right. Of, of uh, this construct that we apply rules to. It's not so much that it's like, Oh, I have an idea. Right. Um, But instead it's these rules that we build up um, and we, we, and we use those rules to then be able to generate other ideas. And uh, in this case, the idea from from the, from the Einstein equation for for like the fundamental GR equation, it, I I finally saw it and I understood it, which was like, at least in its uh, in a topical sense, right? Like in 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 what it means, right? In terms of understanding, is a completely uh, like in true understanding in the depth of what it means is something else, right? But what it's showing is is another thing, right? So what it was showing was that on one side of the equation, it it talks about only things that are geometric, nothing else. It's only things that are geometric. And then the other part um, are things that we actually measure and see, right? And uh, particularly talking about mass. And so uh, mass and energy. And so um, this is so weird because one thing is only talking about shapes, completely like abstract idea. And then the other thing is talking about things that we can actually measure. Right. And so like, ladies and gentlemen, just to reiterate, it's that energy, his insight was that in a very topical way, as Moises said, energy affects geometry, literally. Like you have a triangle in space and you put like energy near it or which is mass, right? If that triangle is going to change, that's very strange. That's a very strange idea. 
So I'm just reiterating that, emphasizing that. Yeah. And so, and I'm like, to me, conceptually, it's like, okay, so I have this thing, geometry, how can I apply it, you know, to the things that I see, you know, like, essentially, part, part of the rules that we use uh, in, in physics and coming up with, with, uh, with these, with theory, just in general, is that we, we should always be able to uh, get back to, to like, the thing that we learn in high school physics to back to Newton's physics. And um, that's one of the things. Why? Because those are the observable effects. So these are things that we see uh, tried and true. If I drop a ball and I have a stopwatch, then, you know, I get a particular measurement. So if I build this, uh, this framework that um, also includes this kind of motion, I should be able to apply those. Uh, I should be able to get back the original uh, quantity that I would have received for the amount of time that it took from that other theory. So it's a, I wouldn't necessarily say backwards compatible, but there needs to be some kind of compatibility um, when, when applied in that way. Um, when we're talking about general relativity, uh, right? We have we talk about gravity. Gravity is one of the one of the the like the parameters that is used in that equation. Um, you get back gravity, so you you could essentially figure out how much you yourself, you know, your mass is causing light to bend. But the thing is that like you're going to see point zero 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 zero. You know, the effect is going to be so so tiny that essentially is what's the point of doing something so complicated to figure that out right some people will argue that like because it's cool or maybe i can find something else out but the thing is in terms of practical sense what does that mean right what does that mean to you and uh in terms of practical sense driving you know i'm driving there's this geometry i see a sign that says 30 miles per hour like at my or my uh, speedometer and it says it's 30 i'm like okay i won't get pulled over <laughs> for speeding <laughs> uh but uh that that's in, in the practical sense right i want to make sure i have enough distance between me and the other car but there are other things at play right so like i i wasn't the car and um i had a, a a a rock like had fallen in my shoe uh just before i got in the car and so like i pulled the rock out and i had the rock in my hand and uh, and i was driving right with with this rock in my hand and i'm thinking to myself if i were to like and i had the windows down um it was it was a beautiful day that day and so like um i i had the windows down and i'm thinking if i drop this rock this rock would be traveling at 30 miles per hour. I don't want to hit anybody, so I'm not going to drop this rock at 30 miles per hour. But to me, it's like nothing, right? We right now are traveling around the sun, right? The sun is traveling in the arm of, uh, of our, uh, one of the arms of our spiraled uh, galaxy, the Milky Way. So the sun, like we're moving around the sun. The sun is also moving around, you know, the 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 the, the center point of of our galaxy, and and uh, I don't I don't even know what what the galaxy is doing. Like, maybe is the galaxy also traveling somewhere through this thing that we call space? And this space is something that exists between all of us and everything that we're made up of as well, right? So like. 
this is the thing that bothers me so much because <laughs> yeah me too i remember from our, our first the conversation we had before where we were talking about the big bang and that was something that i what bothered me uh, i was like okay so the universe is expanding it had to expand from one point then you guys had to explain the concept of no that point is everywhere <laughs> And there is no one point where everything is expanding out. It's like there's some things expanding this way and there's some things expanding the other way, but they all came from the Big Bang. And that's just something that was very difficult for me to wrap my head around too. Yeah, the fact that there was like a beginning point and nothing before that, because the Big Bang didn't happen. That's the misconception, right? The, the Big Bang didn't happen in space. It, happened, it was of space. It was an expansion of space, all space. So like everything was at a point. It's not, it's not like you could look at the point from the outside and, and regard it. It's that everything that exists is, is in that point. Yeah, because I feel like that's how it's communicated, right? Like it, it, everything at one point was in, in, added in a single point in the whole mass of, of the universe. And then it expanded and then the Big Bang happened and it expanded. And so in my mind, and I'm sure in a, in a lot of other people's minds, it was in one point and then it came out from there. And so I thought, oh, cool. So somewhere in the universe, there was a point where everything came from. Uh, it's more like everything in the universe was at one point. Yes. <laughs> it's not that they came from, a, they didn't come from a point. They were all. Right, yeah, right, right. But um, it seems like, like this, and this was the misconception that, that he, the, the original thought that, that he had, right? That's, that's, that's what I'm understanding, right? That every, that you, you thought that like, well, we can just like, just track everything back to where everything. Yeah, I thought that if you were to, to just rewind it from the point of the Big Bang, that it would be like, here's that one point where everything in the universe derived from. Yeah. And that's, um, it's, it's really hard to imagine. I mean, it's just as hard because like you could say in a, in, in, in kind of a stated sense, what the big bang is, is, is at one point there was no yesterday and suddenly there was an expansion of that point. Like all things were that point, your entire coordinate system was in that. It's not like the coordinate system was out there and suddenly, and then you could say, Oh, it happened at the origin. And now the galaxy is, some distance away it was that the entire coordinate system converges to that point okay that there makes was no, a lot of sense and there was no yesterday and i i usually draw the analogy like how do you imagine there was no yesterday it's hard to conceptually but like from a coordinate standpoint i think i brought this up before um when you go to the top of the earth coordinate system there's a point where you get to the top and no matter which way you go you're going south there's no, you can't go more north. And so from that perspective, you can look at time in a very similar coordinate sense that you go back to some point and there's just no point before it. And it seems like that would be an inconsistency. Like, oh, that, how does that make sense? But we, we take it for granted all the time. That happens in a lot of, in a lot of situations. So yeah, Sean, oh, wow. I know we need Sean Carroll here. Sean Carroll, you need to correct me with all of these things and explain to me what's up. Cause. Um, yeah. So maybe, maybe this, my question of, uh, of space lies in, in cosmology or something like I, I need to, I need to, I need to think of, of other things. Cause like the, this, this, this whole concept of space is something that exists across 
all scales, right? So the space exists across all sp- scales, except that they, there is this supposed limit of smallness. Um, the limit, the limit comes from like when you apply concepts of space given to you from GR at the quantum level, at one point you fail to make predictions. So it could be that the Planck scale, as you're talking about, isn't the final scale, but it's as far down as we can predict, if that makes sense. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. It's just as the Big Bang, we don't know what the Big Bang is. We just know that when you apply the theories there, they fail to make predictions. When you go to the center of a black hole, it's not that there's actually a singularity. It's that we fail to make predictions there. And that's like... That to me is exciting. I think for, I think for you, if you did cosmology, like pursuing dark energy or something, because dark energy seems to be some intrinsic property to space that we don't understand. And I think we thought it was the quantum fluctuations, but when you actually calculate how much energy that would be, it's a huge discrepancy from what we observe. We would be expanding a lot faster. So like the open questions, dark matter, dark energy, they seem to be related to the concept of space itself. Um, at least that's my understanding of it. Would that be the same concept as like going the other way, like um, with the universes? Like we, we, I know they call it the observable universe because it's like, mm-hmm. this is as much as we know, maybe there's other universes, but we have no way of knowing anything besides our, the observable universe. Yeah, it's it's kind of like that, but there's you know with that with that that's actually there's a there's different levels to it, right? Because there's parts that haven't come into our observable zone that will. There's some that will mm. never. Like they were just expanded too far away at the beginning of the Big Bang, yeah. and we'll just never causally be connected to them ever again. Um, uh, but the the thing about space, the thing about dark energy being a concept of space, because you look at all the theories. Okay, let's go to let's go to Einstein's equation when you solve it a certain way and apply it, I'm, I'm speaking very generally here, of course, right? When you solve Einstein's equation applied to the whole universe in a certain way, you get an equation that describes how the universe evolves in time. And that's what forms the basis of modern cosmology. There's a term in there that's associated with dark energy, but it's just assumed, but all the different models of dark energy will say like, Oh, there's, um, there's a particular value at every point in space that just happens to be really small, that causes a small acceleration. That's uh, everybody's familiar with that. That's like temperature in a room. Every point in the room has a value and it's called temperature. So every point in space has a value called Lambda that varies, but that over the largest area contributes to this really, it's the, it's the most amount of stuff in the universe we know is this dark energy. It's like 70%. And we don't even know what it is. And it seems to be an intrinsic property of space itself. So what is that? I don't know. What is space? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what is space? Um, and so this is also completely out of, uh, right, of my field of study. This is just something. I think it's all of all, outside of personal, all of ours. <laughs> <laughs> this is a personal thing that bothers me. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll think about it, you know. So, like, this will be things that, like, I mean, like we we are we are held together by stuff, and there exists this space between all the stuff that we have that is us. Somehow, we can still function, even though there's this massive space. 
Wow. Relatively massive. Yeah, relatively massive. I'm glad you didn't drop the ball on that one. That one's uh, on these gravity jokes, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, um, just uh, just, like mind-boggling things in terms of like terms of distances and and space also is like how um i was told once that all the the planets side by side fit between earth and the moon yep and i'm like no way so what did i do i went into solarium and i looked at the diameters of the planets and i was like this is no (laughs) this is not possible (laughs) like how does how do things work (laughs) Have you ever seen like those um those models of like the sun like it's a clear sphere and they're filled with little beads and it's like each bead is the earth and there's like a million of them or more in there it's like... <laughs> yeah this is and the thing is I didn't know this until uh I think it was 2019 it's pretty crazy some yeah. of the stuff you learned right yeah and so um like I I I uh I didn't grow up doing astronomy right so that wasn't something i grew up with and so like these things like i'm still learning things of astronomy and so like like it's all very still exciting to me you know like uh i don't know it's just so weird (laughs) yeah it's it it makes you look at the world different it does it is like i i I mean yeah i mean me too i did not i definitely didn't grow up with astronomy or or um like even an interest in space until very very recently and yeah, and then like last year, I learned about Rayleigh scattering. I think mm-hmm. I'm saying that right. And and the the colors of the sun, like why the those the why the color of the sun changes when it reaches the horizon. And I can never look at a sunset or a sunrise the same without thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Look at the moon. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Moises. No, no, no. I was just gonna say the same thing. Looking at the moon. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like now, you can't look at the moon without thinking of all the planets. <laughs> I'm not yeah, going to be able to now. <laughs> yeah, that would be crazy. I mean, it would be beautiful for about a second, and then it would be pretty devastating. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it, would be it would be neat to be the moon of a planet with rings. Like if you were the moon, one of the moons of Saturn, and you have ring rises and and sets, that would be pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 One of the things that um, I learned recently I didn't know about was the first distinction between the gas giants and the ice giants. Like I used to, when I grew up, it was Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune were all like gas giants. And then I learned recently why they're considered not gas giants. And actually Victor gave me a book to read about Voyager. And when Voyager passed Uranus and Neptune, it measured, it measured for all of the planets the like for instance the um the mass and the magnetic field and the the spin and all of that stuff and it found that for jupiter and saturn the you know how there's like poles right so imagine a magnet north and south that magnet is aligned with the spin of the planet so the planet's spinning like like just like a basketball and the magnetic field is pointed up for, for some reason on Uranus and Neptune, the magnetic field is completely off axis from the spin. So something going on inside Uranus and Neptune is different than Jupiter and Saturn. There's something that keeps the spins aligned in Jupiter and Saturn. And in Uranus and Neptune, they're like, not to mention Uranus is on its side, but even still, 
the, the magnetic field's like 30 degrees or 40 degrees off axis from the spin. I thought that was so fascinating. It blew my mind. I just learned that recently. So what i just learned this right now <laughs> <laughs> well thank you victor and thank you i forget who wrote the book who, who wrote that voice uh J- jim bell jim bell he was um, uh, yeah he was in the voyager mission highly recommend that book it's it blew my mind and that was all from i think neptune was like less than a 10 hour flyby so most of what we know still to this day about neptune was from one flyby that took like you know a couple of few hours um to from, from 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 here to uh to dallas maybe <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like from here to dallas but it was a two billion miles away yeah <laughs> that, that's funny because i think that statement still holds true even for you right now where you're at <laughs> well everything's welcome to 80, texas <laughs> 80 miles an hour and flat and straight you can get anywhere in two yeah. hours yeah uh yeah yeah, it's the it's the only place I've ever been where I drove twelve hours and I still was in Texas, like Brownsville to Fort Davis or to Lubbock. Yeah. How do you guys feel about where we where we're at? I mean, we did this. We we were we literally jumped in and did three hours. Like this was a mm-hmm. three hour edit. This is the longest episode I've ever done. And we can probably keep going, except <laughs> I need to leave pretty soon yeah i know i I was gonna say you have to be there for seven so and you should get some rest yeah um should i uh i'll just wrap it up here then does that sound good with y'all yeah Yeah, i think wrapping it up with texas (laughs) wrapping well wrapping it up with texas um moises thank you for being here and thank you for having a conversation with us yeah thank you for inviting me and uh making sure that it happened yeah yeah, this is this is a very important discussion, um, and I hope you. Yeah, I hope you enjoy. Well, I hope you come back for recurring episodes. Yeah, yeah, we'll need to come back and really talk about uh, astronomy and the history of all that. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we got to get Tycho and his nose and Galileo, and we got to talk about the f- celestial sphere. The celestial sphere. Yeah, this is uh this is uh like a the survey right of uh, of everything and. Uh... <laughs> survey of everything yeah and uh, <laughs> but yeah we could we can definitely crack open a topic and and go in depth for sure absolutely well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it um looking forward to it so so with that ladies and gentlemen of texas and the surrounding galaxy these are receding horizons mm-hmm.